Welcome to Connected with Emily Obey. I'm your host. This is a podcast dedicated to having conversations that matter to help us feel connected to ourselves, to each other, and to the world we live in. You'll most likely never find me on a volleyball court because I was once kicked out of a grade nine gym class for being so bad at it, the teacher thought I was fully messing with him. You will, however, find me writing books, coaching people on how to have a successful online business through effective content marketing and copywriting, and helping people heal from adversity to live lives that truly feel good and make an impact in our society. Stick around, because I ask the questions we're all wanting to know the answers to. Hi guys, welcome to Connected with Emily Obey. Today we have a human design expert reader. Her name is Jacqueline Michelle. She is on the show with us. I'm so excited because I'm obsessed with human design and I actually got a reading with Jacqueline in the fall and it totally changed so many things for me for, for the better. So I can't wait to have her on the podcast. Jacqueline, welcome. Thank you for being here with us. And Oh my gosh, thank you. Ah, oh my gosh. Okay, so Human design for me, um, I kind of went into a bit of a rabbit hole last year and I had heard about what it was and I had heard that I was a manifesting generator based on my birth time. Like I knew a few things about myself. I knew what my authority was. I knew that my authority was emotional and that's how I made decisions. Like I had to like sleep on it and, and mull it over and like see how I really felt and imagine the things and see how I felt in my body. I knew those things about myself. Um, because of human design, because I had a few friends who were into it and I had like quickly done my, my chart on body graph, um, a couple years ago, really. And then last year it like circled back into my awareness through a client of mine who, um, said to me something like, Oh, well, that's just really easy for you because you're a manifesting generator. And I was like, what? Um, I forgot about all of this. And then I got super into it again because I started realizing that it was going to help me understand one myself better and then Mm -hmm. also my clients, especially with the way that people make decisions through their authorities. I find that it's super helpful to know what someone's authority is. So I went long story short, I went to a rabbit hole, got super obsessed. And then I came across you somewhere on a Facebook podcast group. Oh, fun. <laughs> oh, I found you. And then I was like, and I just went on your website and you were all about like being funny and hilarious. And I just liked your personality and I booked a reading with you. And then we had like an almost three hour reading. I feel. Oh, we like went deep. We went yeah. very, very deep. Yep. Yeah, it was amazing. And then um, it helped me a lot to make a big decision for myself at the time, as well as just understand different parts of me. And it was literally like you knew who I was, but we had never you had no recollection of, of me, like based on history in any way, because you don't know me. And, um, like I booked a reading, I don't know if you remember, but I booked a reading, like maybe a couple days before we actually had the reading Mm -hmm. in the fall. So like you had no way to like follow me or like creep me or like, and I don't do that on purpose. I actually like, I'm very specific. Like I do not Google people before I read for them because I don't want anything to, like cloud or taint or try to influence how I tell you about your chart. Like I literally just want to let the chart speak for itself. And it's so weird because I have moments with clients all the time where people are like, you Googled me, didn't you? And I'm like, no, like I didn't. And I'm not psychic. I'm not like, you know, connected to some like higher source or anything. I mean, you know, no more than we all are, I guess. But like, 
it's not like I, you know, know anything about you or, or, you know, can psychically tell. It's just the chart knows. It's eerily accurate in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it, that's the thing. That's exactly my experience of it. Um, I was like, oh my God, she knows me. She knows me better than I do. And <laughs> this is like, because of the chart, you know, I was just blown away. So with that being said, I knew that I wanted to have you on the podcast because um, not only did I become obsessed with it, I think that it's super helpful for people to understand what the system is and actually get to um, see a piece of their soul in, in some way. Yeah. It's super, super clear. Um, and what I really love about human design, and maybe you can tell us what you really love about it and why you've done, you know, uh, or you've devoted yourself to it in some way in your career. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really love is like, it, it brings me back to this, um, knowledge or this trust in my own self that everything is the way it should be in some way or another. Like, for example, my root is not defined for a specific reason, whereas my throat is for another. And it's all because I'm supposed to do a certain thing with my incarnation cross and I can get there through my emotional authority. You know, like it's just really, to me, it just makes me feel like, oh, my soul knows what it's doing and I need to trust that higher piece of myself a little bit better. And that's why I, um, or with more ease, I guess. And that's why I really, really love human design. So with that being said, that's how you came into my world. Um, now I want to give you the talking stick and I would love to know um, how you became also obsessed with human design and decided to teach it and read um, charts for people. Tell us. Yeah. Um, so I was actually, it also came from a podcast group, oddly enough, um, about, I God, it must have been over a year, almost two years ago now. Um, I was working in a corporate job and I was stuck. Like I knew it was not working for me anymore. Like I just, I felt really, really unhappy, incredibly burnt out, really drained. And the problem was like, and again, I don't know if you're, maybe you can relate to this. Maybe your clients can relate to this or your listeners. Um, sometimes when you like put your head down and you just kind of do the things you're supposed to be doing and you're like walking the path that you think you're supposed to be walking, like every t- once in a while you like look up and, and take a look at your surroundings and you're like, I don't recognize where I am anymore or who I am, where I am. Like it just, I, I didn't know anymore what was going to resonate for me or what felt good in my own body because I had just been kind of putting one foot in front of the other for so long and not looking around. So I was in this podcast group and um, somebody had just posted a comment. I don't know why it like, you know, stuck with me, but um, one of the questions was like, I'm at a turning point in my life. Like I'm looking for systems or modalities or something I can turn to that's going to kind of helped me get back in alignment with who I am. And a lot of people suggested astrologers and um, somebody was like, I had a human design reading. It changed my world. Like it, it was like, got me back in touch with who I was. And I had never heard of the system at that point. And I was like, what is this thing? What is human design? It, that it sounds exactly like the thing that I need right now. And I ran my chart. I started looking into it and unpacking it piece by piece. And I'm, I'm someone who like needs to get to the bottom of things. I'm a big research nerd. Like I really love kind of you know, making sense of things and teaching it. I also have a background in education. And um, yeah, once I was able to make sense of my own chart, um, it was so eerie to see so much of myself like reflected back at me. It was almost like someone holding up in the mirror and like reminding me, here's all the parts and pieces of who you are and what feels good in your body and what doesn't. It like reconnected me with my own intuition, with my own kind of sense of self. And it just was so eerily accurate that I was like, I I have to be able to like do this for other people. And so I started reading for friends and family and 
and deepening my research process. And once I realized like this, how transformative this, just even a foundational understanding of your chart can be, I was like, I, I have to, I just have to do this for people. And, um, being a former educator, I used to teach little first and second graders. Um, I spent the last part of my corporate career um, actually training teachers and how to teach kids how to read and write. Um, so like teaching and educating has always been a really big part of who I am. And one of the things that bothered me, I guess, when I started researching my own chart was the lack of information online. Like there's a few um, like sanctioned sites. I'm using air quotes, which I know you can't see right now, um, that are from some of like the... Um, like I know the Jovian Archive has a site. There's like the official certified human design readers have a site, but I wasn't crazy about the way they were phrasing the information. It almost seemed like you were like reading an article about a topic you didn't have background information on. Like that was at least kind of the way I was at least taking their wording. And I wanted it to be simpler. I wanted it to, to be more straightforward. I wanted it to sound more like the way we talk to each other. And so I was like, I think I can add that to the community. I think I can kind of add my voice to that in a way that's maybe not so, because I think that's sometimes what, you know, holds people back from getting involved in practices like human design, like astrology, sometimes like um, some things that are more metaphysical or like, you know, esoteric, they think it's like too complicated or too lofty or too like, I don't know, like out of, out of reach. And I wanted to bring it back down into the real world and like allow people to actually have conversations about it and not just like be reliant on other people to tell them what things mean, but maybe empower people to be able to figure it out themselves. I love that. And I think that you do such a good job at it because that was the first thing that like struck me from your website. You were so relatable and fun. And it was like, you were making human design cool. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I'm so tragically uncool, but I appreciate that. <laughs> it was just so cool. Like I remember watching your intro video and you were like, okay, like let's pull up Beyonce's human design chart. <laughs> and, um, Queen, Queen B. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just, it's just the generation that we're in, but I feel like that, the, you like brought pop culture and human design and, and merged them and then made this great site slash business out of it, which is, I think it's very entertaining, but also educational at the same time. So well, I think learning can be fun. I mean, that's, I think that's a, if teaching elementary school has taught me anything, like learning shouldn't have to be this like serious, like sit and absorb or, you know, I don't know. It just, it can be fun. It can be interactive. And I think like, taking it, it's all supposed to be a big experiment anyway. That's the thing. The guy who, again, I'm using air quotes, channeled the system. Um, that was one of his big messages in the foundational kind of work about the set. The system was it's supposed to be a big experiment. It's supposed to be something you play with. And a lot of the sites that were out there, I, I wasn't seeing that play. I wasn't seeing that experimentation. I wasn't seeing people, people are taking it so damn seriously. And I'm like, why don't we kind of approach this back with the sense of like, play and experimentation because that's what it's supposed to be love it so tell us just like a really brief overview of what human design is like what's the purpose of human design in our world right now so i i like to think of it as a spiritual version of like the myers-briggs or like you know gallup has those like skill assessment surveys people are supposed to take except instead of using like a quiz where you go in and answer questions um because that will change like as you change and evolve your questions are going to evolve and change this basically it's like myers-briggs is if you were stamped that way from the day you were born so what human design takes is um astrology Kabbalah, the chakra system, the I Ching, combines them into like one master system. And it's basically your energetic mapping or your like your soul contract basically from the moment you step on the planet. 
And so it's basically how your energy moves through your body, how you're built to interact with other people, um, how you're meant to walk through the world, uh, how you make decisions, how you take in information, how you figure out what lights you up versus what's not meant for you. How basically, I, I, what I really appreciated about it is it takes you back to your intuition. Like, how do you make decisions? How do you figure out what feels good in your body? Um, and really kind of trust your, your, like kind of your inner instincts, I guess, to guide you where you're meant to be going. I love it. And that's exactly what human design has done for me. So, I mean, if you're listening and you want a reading, it's totally like one of the best decisions you'll ever make um, because it, <laughs> it really does bring you back to your intuition. And I remember while uh, we were doing my reading back in the fall, um, I was really debating, should I come back to California or not? I actually did. I am in California right now. I was going to ask. Yes. Yes. And um, I was having a really tough time with it because I was attempting to make the decision um, from something else than my emotional authority. And I remember I told you, you know, these are my concerns <laughs> about yep. the situation, but like, it's a mostly yes for me. Um, I can't imagine my life not doing it. And I don't, I just, I was really in the space of like, I'm not sure what to do at that, at that specific moment. And mm -hmm. just getting the reading brought me back to my intuition, but back to like how my, my own system works, not how my dad's systems work, like not how my friends work, not how society works, just like basically how I work and something mm -hmm. that we're really super clear about having emotional authority with was that when you have an emotional authority, you kind of have to make decisions like when you're at an 80% yes, because, yeah. because there's always going to be like this 20 or 15% of you that's like always considering like the low peak of the emotional wave. Mm -hmm. And that was like life changing for me because I was always waiting to make a decision when I felt a hundred percent about something. And mm -hmm. like, it was very hard for me to make decisions because truthfully, I don't often feel a hundred percent about something ever. Um, whether that's a no or a yes, like if it's a no, sure. Like it could be a no up until like 90% for me, but I can still feel like the positive of what that situation could potentially bring to me. Right. Mm -hmm. So knowing that about myself allowed me to like work with my own system in a way that was effective and actually make the right decision for me. Cause I really do believe if I hadn't use my emotional authority to make this decision about California, I may not have come. And then my life wouldn't be as expansive as it is right now. And I'm only like a month into being here. So yeah, I mean, just so amazing to know how we all make decisions. And I think I remember you telling me that you were a sacral authority, which um, you like, you really do feel like if things are yes, yes or no to a hundred percent and, and pretty quickly or yeah it like comes through like lightning almost like a gut reaction of like yes or no correct and that's one of the things I think that's hard for people wired like you because you also have your sacral center defined in your chart that's one of the things that makes you a manifesting generator and manifesting generators there are some things low-key things that you may have a hundred percent certainty on when you make that decision like I want that pair of shoes I want to you know, eat that thing for lunch. No, I don't want to go out with that person or like whatever it is. Those low key things, you will get a hundred percent and emotional doesn't translate the same way. It takes a little bit longer. It's definitely more tumultuous. And I think sometimes we want it to feel the same way. Like if I'm going to get a hundred percent through the sacral, then I got to get a hundred percent through the solar plexus. And if you really emotionally considered something just like you articulated, it's going to feel about 80%. It's going to be like, you know what? I feel really good about this. Maybe I, I kind of considered through my feelings, not intellectually. And I think that's the other thing to kind of 
keep in mind about emotional authority is a lot of human design, except for mental projectors, we're meant to almost stay out of our heads. It's all about like going back to what's more instinctual, what's more um, like biochemical, almost primal of like, how do I feel about it? Or what does my gut say? Do I feel drawn towards something as opposed to over-intellectualizing it? And with your emotional authority, as you're feeling through it, like the, the 80% is basically letting you know, I felt through all of the different possibilities. If it were 100%, it's like you haven't gone through the whole wave yet. You haven't felt all of the feelings. Yeah, and to understand that I work like that, and actually you're making such a good distinction, and I almost forgot about it. You did tell me, like, little decisions, you'll be able to use your sacral to make them. Yep. However, like the big decisions for you, you have to refer back to your emotional authority, your solar plexus. Mm-hmm. And oh, I don't know, that just changed my world. So thank you, one. And then, <laughs> and then two, um, I would love to just get a little bit of info for people who might be listening. This is their first time hearing about human design. If they're on my list, this is probably not the first time they listen to this because mm-hmm. Um, I talk about it a lot. <laughs> um, however, can we just go through the types really quickly and you can yep. just give a couple little sentences around the types and then um, I would love to get into the different uh, authorities as well and just kind of a brief synopsis of all of them. We're not going to go into total depth with them. If you're listening and you want more info, Jacqueline actually has an amazing site with so much resourcing, but she'll give us a little bit of a taste right now. So Tell me, the, tell me the more things. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you more things. So basically, there are five different types in human design, and two of the types have their own subtypes. But basically, think of it as almost like your star sign in astrology. Like everyone typically knows, like, I'm a Pisces or I'm a Libra. Like this would be almost like the equivalent of human design and knowing, like, your type. And the type governs – it basically it's a summary, a summary of how we use our energy, our work, our creative type of energy – in the world. And so the guy who, uh, his name is Robert Allen Krakauer, the guy who channeled the system. Um, he basically said there's, there's five kind of types and in his utopic idea of society, here's kind of how they work. There are people called manifestors and manifestors are like the big idea people. They kind of have the impulses. They have the, they want to kind of like take big actions, do creative things, but their energy comes in these really short bursts. So sometimes they can like take a big step towards something and realize partway through, ooh, I don't want to do that anymore. But it's not as if they've wasted like months or years of energy on that thing. They can pivot pretty quickly. Um, there are then generators. And generators and manifesting generators, they're kind of both types of a generator. Like to think of generator as like the, um, like the type and then these would be like the subtypes. So there's classic generators and, and manifesting generators. And we're the doers. We're, we're typically the people that, I'm a generator myself, we're typically the people that like carry out the thing that the manifestors have the big idea to do. But the catch is it has to light us up. We have a ton of primal kind of life force, sacral energy to give to something that truly gives us joy. And that's almost like our, our covenant with the universe is we get this giant amount of creative workforce energy, but we have to feed our sacral back with joy or else we don't get access to it. Um, projectors are there to guide. So they're like the, they're the fourth type, I guess. So we've talked about manifestors, generators, and manifesting generators. You've got projectors. There's three different types of projectors. We won't go into all of it, but um, projectors are basically guides. They would be like the team leader who's able to kind of say like, oh, Jacqueline Michelle, like you'd be better at doing this part. Emily, 
this is going to give you more joy. Why don't you take on that task? So they're here to help kind of guide the work to make sure everyone's needs are being met. People are doing the tasks that feel good in their body. Um, they have the guidance and support that they need. And then finally, the fifth type, they're called reflectors, and they're incredibly rare. They're, I think it's like less than 2%, less than 1% of the world's population. They're very, very rare. And every single center in their body is open. And we can talk about centers a little later if you like. Um, but they're basically incredibly intuitive. They mirror back situations to people. And so if we, like the reflector might be the person, like HR, maybe. If HR functioned the way HR should in a company, um, they would be the one who's like, ooh, I can tell people are upset or this team seems like they're struggling or this person seems really frustrated. They're reflecting that back. And basically, if the reflector is sick or angry or frustrated, like we all screwed up in some way. So they're reflecting back kind of like the conditions, I guess, of the project. And so everybody belongs to one of those five types. Um, and then authority, it's, it's basically every single type has a specific strategy for making decisions. Now, every one of them has a different decision-making strategy. So manifestors inform, manifesting generators and generators, we respond projectors have to kind of wait till they're recognized and invited so that they can guide and reflectors poor reflectors because they're so open they really need to take time and like feel through and think through all of their decisions and kind of over the course of a month over the course of an entire like lunar cycle um and so that that can be but that's only for giant major things that's not for like what to have for lunch or the poor reflector would be like reflecting on things forever um so Authority is that thing in our body, though, we listen to when we're saying yes or no to the decision we have to make. So projectors would want to like listen to their authority to figure out what invitations to take. Or as generators and manifesting generators, we want to listen to our authority that'll tell us what yes or no, how we respond to something. And so there's a bunch of different types of authority. The three major ones are splenic, sacral, and emotional. So we talked about emotional a little bit with you. It's literally people who have to, it's also called solar plexus authority. Um, Folks who have this have to feel all their feelings and literally feel things out to be able to get a sense emotionally of whether a decision feels good or bad in their body. Um, people have sacral authority. I have that in my chart. It almost feels like I'm being pulled towards something or contracted, pardon me, away from something. So like say um, I get a job offer or say... Um, you know, uh, somebody asks me to marry them, which, you know, or hasn't had to happen, but that's okay. Um, like it would either feel like I'd feel either drawn toward that thing, um, or contracted away, or even some people who have it connected to their throat, their sacral in some way, well, it'll even come out like a sound, like, um, like, a, uh, 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 like if it's a no or like a, Ooh, like squee, if it's a yes, like, um, cause it can be very kind of oral. Um, and you want to kind of let that, that gut feeling guide you if you have sacral authority. Splenic is also connected to the gut, but it's connected to the spleen. And this is, the spleen is this center in our body. It's the oldest awareness center we have. It dates back from the time when we were like evolving from fish with gills to be like fish with legs. Um, and we needed to kind of like have a system in our body that let us know like that's a saber toothed tiger. It's going to eat you run like hell, or that is your prey. You need to like pounce. And so because, knock on wood, our lives are not like in eminent danger the way they were when we were fish with legs, um, the spleen now, instead of just primarily working to keep us alive, now it's trying to figure out how to make things effective, how to keep us safe, how to make things more efficient, what are problems that can be solved. And so people who have splenic authority, it's literally their body's like yes or no system for what's safe and what's not. 
Um, I don't have it as my authority, but I do have it in my, um, in my chart as defined. And so I'll get like sick to my stomach feelings. If there's like, if I walk into a room and something is not safe about it, or like a person is giving me a bad vibe, I feel it in my stomach. Like it feels like gross and cramped. I'll even feel like contracted a little bit as well. Um, if something's like exciting, like say you go on a first date and that person's like, you just have a good feeling about them. Like it's that like heart racing, hands flush, hands like sweaty, face flushing, you know, butterflies in your stomach kind of feeling. So people with splenic authority, it literally is trusting their gut and it's really connected to their digestive system. So instead of feeling like an expansion or a contraction, they literally get like either like sick to their stomach butterflies or like excited butterflies or like just like my spidey spent senses tingling butterflies. And it's literally about what's going to be safe and what isn't for them. So projectors, a lot of projectors tend to have splenic authority. Um, generators and manifesting generators, we can't because our sacral is defined. Um, and sacral, it's like a weird hierarchy of things. If your spleen is defined, like sacral always beats spleen and emotional solar plexus will always beat sacral and spleen. It's like a weird rock, paper, scissor hierarchy here. But um, yeah. yeah, so those are kind of the major ones. Um, there are some people who have um, sounding board authority and it's very rare. It's just a certain type of projector and they literally need to like talk things out with people, but less to hear what the other person has to say, more of to hear themselves orally process because they're so in their heads that sometimes to like really organize their thoughts, they have to hear it back to themselves. And so it's like giving them time and space to talk and they also, depending on how much openness they have in their chart, like they're going to want to talk it out around other people so they can get asked, like kind of access to more parts of themselves as they're feeling and thinking and kind of articulating and sounding it out for themselves. So is that the same? So are you um, describing self-projected authority or is this? That's no, that's different. So it's called in human design sounding board authority um, or um, environmental authority. Like those are similar. Self-projected can be, it, it kind of is along the same lines, except it's coming, it's instead of articulating what's in your head, you're articulating basically your morals, your values, what's in alignment with you, who you are as a human being, your direction. And so self-projected, it's more of like, you have to talk it out, but it's more of like, you're going to feel it more in your chest. Like you feel drawn towards something. Something feels like so on brand for Emily or so in alignment with who you are, um, that that's what you're, or out of alignment with who you are. Like, um, and you may even feel the expansion contraction, but it's more of like breast kind of like chest area as opposed to gut. Yeah. Um, and then heart manifested or ego manifested is very similar. It's when either the heart and the self are connected and you're either you're feeling through it or the heart is connected to the throat and you're, you're talking through it. Um, but it's what you want, what you desire being articulated. It just depends on um, what's kind of giving the power to the feeling and the thought. So mental projectors, it's all what's in the head. Self-projected, it's basically giving voice to, you know, who you are, where you're going, what's within your integrity. And the ego manifested, the ego projected is, is what's in the heart, like what you value, what you need, what you desire. Oh, so um, interesting. I actually have a ton of people, whether that's clients or friends. Um, like I have a client who does have sounding board, board authority, like you were um, describing and she's very much like sometimes I feel like I don't even really need to be there like yep you know, she just like talks and talks and then she gets to a decision and I don't even I don't sometimes like as a practitioner sometimes I feel like I'm not even really being useful like I'm just oh, but you are though it's your energy that's being useful all yeah. of your centers anywhere she's open you're you're being like the cell tower for her like I know we talked about this during your um your reading 
like the healthy way we use people who have centers defined that we have open in our chart, it's we want to use them like they're a cell tower. It's almost like we've got cricket wireless through our open centers. When we're walking through the world, we have no bars. We, we have a really hard time accessing ourselves. And then every time we're around someone who's got that center defined, it's like, they're the cell tower. All of a sudden we have four bars, we have full service. Now we can access ourselves. So like as she's sitting and talking at you um, and working through her stuff, you're completing those centers for her. You're giving her access to parts of herself that she doesn't necessarily have on her own. Not, it's not a weakness. It's not a vulnerability. It's just the way we're meant to kind of work with each other. So even just by sitting there quietly, like you're, you're helping her get more in touch with who she is, what she wants, what she needs, what she desires. So you are doing a lot. Oh, that's really interesting. It's just more passive. <laughs> yeah, which is great to look at it that way because I, I do, like when she has a big major decision to do, I know that I'm not going to be guiding her into any kind of like emotional support or even like helping her check in with her sacral response or her splenic response because that's not what she needs, you know? Mm -hmm. She just basically needs to talk it out, hear it out, and, and then that's how she comes to her major decisions, which I think is, is so interesting because it's like, again it's kind of crazy how accurate it is for every single person, you know? Mm -hmm. it, it's I, so- I can't to read for anybody who's been like, this doesn't sound like me at all. Yeah. Probably. It's very weird. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so then just to make more sense of it, because I'm actually learning about this um, as you're speaking. So the authorities, I mean, I knew emotional sacral splenic, or how do you say it? Splenic, how do you, yeah. You I don't think there's, a, I don't think, it's splenic, splenic, I, tomato, tomato, like. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's sounding board authority, and then can you just make sense of, um, you said environmental authority, and then you said something else as well. Um, yeah, environmental is sounding board. They have weird, it depends on where you run your chart. Like, I've heard them called different things. Like, so, um, so there's self-projected, um, we talked about. The yeah. ego manifested or ego projected are all what comes from the heart and the self. Um, environmental sounding board, they're the same thing. They're all what mental projectors have. Um, the last one though is the, is the lunar authority yeah. and that's what reflectors have. And oh my goodness, it is intense. So yeah. reflectors, basically, so the more centers you have open in your body, the more sensitive you are to other people's energy. And so for reflectors, for them, when they get a chart reading, they're going to hear like the same thing. Okay. Your heart's open. Your self is open. Your spleen is open. Your whatever's open. And it's, it, they have a potential to basically like either put on the costume of someone else's energy through that. But typically reflectors are built a little bit tougher and stronger than that. So it's not like they're constantly morphing into other people. It's more of like they're using other people as like a 10 antennae and like cell towers to get clarity on themselves. So depending on the configuration of the centers of the person they're talking to, different, different gates that they have activated or they have access to. So anytime we have a gate and an open center, and those are, if you're like, I know this is probably like sounding like, or foreign language to a lot of folks. If you've, if you've run your chart on my body graph, um, you're going to notice there's shapes in your chart that are white, and then there's shapes in your chart that are colored in. If those shapes are colored in, those are defined. Those are, and there's sometimes there's little numbers in there that have a, um, like a circle, a gray circle around them. Those are gates. And you'll notice there's even like a little red or black or even a red and black line, like extruding from some of those. Like those are all gates. Sometimes those gates are activated in a center that we have defined. So those are traits we have access to all the time. Doesn't matter who's around, doesn't matter where we are, like we always have access to that part of ourselves. If we have a gate activated, but it's in a, um, a center that we have open, we only have access to that characteristic when someone else is around you has that center closed. 
it's almost like we've got the light switch flipped on, but there's no power going to the circuit until we get around someone who's got that defined and all of a sudden we've got power. Like yeah. we have the light switch on. Um, like for example, in my own chart, I have my heart center open, but I have gate 21. And gate 21 is this like potential to be competitive or this potential to be kind of like a need to be first kind of thing. I'm totally not competitive 90% of the time, but just certain people, I notice I get a little bit like Monica from Friends. Do you remember the scene where she's like with the ping pong and like her hair's on that? Like the, I, I always like there's someone who brings out my inner Monica, like, but it's not everybody. And so it's just so interesting to kind of look back and be like, okay, that's what it is. That's why 90% of the time I'm totally cool and totally non-competitive and totally chill. It's just certain people bring it out in me. So reflectors, that's their entire life is trying to navigate who are the people who have energy that feels really safe, that gives me access to the parts of myself that I need. And so that's why they have a whole month as their authority. It's more like they need to feel it out and talk it out and kind of just sense, sense through it really with their whole body um, over the course of a month around a bunch of different people and see what keeps shaking to the surface as like the most consistent thing that feels good to them. Um, and it's not for, again, it's not for minor things. It's only for big major, um, pardon me, major things like, um, you know, do I want to move across the country? Do I want to marry this person? Do I want to make babies? Do I want to change careers? Like it's for those big things they really need to feel out um, because they want to have access to the most of themselves as they do it. Um, yeah. Which is no, that's no easy feat. I'm always like, oh man, perfectors. It just takes a while for them to kind of feel really good about a decision. Yeah. Okay. So that, that must be really challenging. Um, cause I can't imagine, I mean, I feel, this is my thing. I feel like emotional authority is still pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. um, I would probably prefer to have sacral to be honest, <laughs> because I feel you on that. Yeah. I could have easier access to like more so gut reactions instead of having to go into my feels to have to make decisions. Cause then mm -hmm. like, is it right? Is it not right? I don't know. And that's, and that's where this whole rule of like, or not rule, I guess just a guideline of if you're 80% sure, like you got to move forward with it has helped me so, so much. Um, mm -hmm. But I can only imagine how hard it must be to have to wait 28 days to make a freaking decision. Well, it's so funny because there's like a good and a bad there's to all of it because like for sacral authority, for example, I have to tell, this is the weird things I get to say to my clients all day is the spleen and the sacral are not psychic. Like they don't have like the gift of prophecy. They're not like seeing into the future and telling you what to go toward because it knows. The body is sensing things that maybe our brain hasn't metacognitively picked up on yet, but it's not a psychic thing. So there are times where I've definitely followed my gut, said yes to something in the moment, got into it, and then realized like it's a whole different set of energy coming toward me and been like, oh crap, this was a bad decision. I wish I had had more information before I like stepped into this thing. And then the gut's going to change. It's going to give you a different reaction and you move forward. Whereas sometimes like having the emotional authority, you have the benefit of time where you can kind of take a step back, take some distance and kind of feel through it. And, and like sometimes that gift gives you the clarity. Whereas like trusting your gut can be really hard. I know I do... I read people's charts for a living, but I cannot tell you how many times, even since I've discovered human design, where I've like totally ignored my gut and been like, no, there's probably a reason. Oh, I'll just ignore that. And then I inevitably always look back and I'm like, dude, Jacqueline, come on now. <laughs> like you do this for a living. You should know better. Um, Cause my gut always knew something I didn't. Um, Interesting. So yeah. it's like the more we, okay. So basically big guideline here is that for big decisions, we should always refer back to our main authority, 
right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Decisions, whether you're a reflector and your authority is lunar or you are a projector and your authority sounding board or mm-hmm. you're a manifesting generator and your authority is uh, emotional, like whatever it is, when you're making a big decision, um, go back to your authority to make the right decision for you. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. And especially if you've got either split or triple split or quadruple split definition in your chart, that makes it even harder. Like there are some people who just the way their centers are set up, not all their defined centers are talking to their other defined centers. Okay, so, so is that what that means? Tell us more. This, so I have a single definition. I'm so do I. Yeah. Um, but for example, like my dad has like a quadruple split situation. Yes. And there, it's so funny. These are, so basically your chart can be divided in a bunch of different ways. So what Emily and I are both talking about is if you look into the way our centers are set up, the, the, there's a channel. So like a little um, kind of, you'll notice there's like little like pathways between each of those um, centers that are colored in your chart. And sometimes they're completely colored in with either red or black or a combination of the two. And sometimes only half of it is and then part of it's white. Um, if the entire thing is co- pathway is colored in, it's called a channel. And so what ha- what's happening in Emily and my charts is that every single one of our centers that's defined has a channel connecting them to the, every other center. So it's almost as if like, you know, if all of our centers that are defined were like the jury, they sat through the same trial, they're going to go deliberate together, they're going to come to a single verdict. If you have split definition, right. it's like two of your centers are defined and they're having one conversation. And then two of your other centers are defined and they're having a completely separate conversation. And so sometimes it's as if like you feel of two bodies or of two minds. Like a lot of times projectors will have this, like they may have their head and their mind defined, but then they've got their gut, their root and their spleen defined. So it's like their gut saying one thing, but their head saying something else. And um, yeah, so it's almost like sending a jury to go deliberate in two separate rooms, but expecting them come to the same verdict. And like sometimes they will, and that's great, but sometimes it's like, well, how are we supposed to come to the same verdict if we can't talk to each other? And triple split just adds another dimension in it. Instead of it going to two rooms, it's three rooms. And quadruple split, it's like going to four rooms. So it's basically like different parts of your body are going to react to the information in different ways. So your heart might feel pulled towards something, but it feels outside of your integrity maybe. Or you know, maybe your root is pushing you toward taking action on something, but your spleen is saying no. And so it just depends on, again, how things are configured. So the more def- the more split you have in your definition, the more important it is for you to like, really get in touch with your authority and like really trust that intuitive process because it's going to help you kind of drown out some of that emotional noise or I guess like sensory noise and, and really defer to what is my authority. So like for you, Emily, it's like say you had split definition. Um, you might have your feelings might tell you one thing, but your spleen might say something else or your, you know, your uh, sacral might say something else. And for you, it'd be okay. It's like thanking the spleen and the sacral for their service and like thank them for like weighing in, but you're going to ultimately defer to what your, your solar plexus says, because that's your authority. So it's kind of learning how to listen to the right parts of your body at the right points in time. Yeah. And I, I, mean, I imagine it could be really difficult for people who have like, um, Splits because it's like like you I think you explained it so well they all go into different rooms to have a consensus but it's like what if the consensus is not the same so yep. what you do in that case is you learn to work more with your authority so mm-hmm. that you can make decisions um, properly at the right time is what yeah hopefully I mean but again life is this is all supposed to be a big experiment so a lot of the times like we definitely like we try something out like I ignore my spleen all the time. 
And um, I always regret it. But it's like a lesson that I have to learn the hard way. I'm a th- I have a third line in my profile, so I kind of have to learn things the hard way. And so like it just with every time I don't listen to it, I gain more intuition, I gain more wisdom, and I'm like, okay, like I didn't listen to it this time. This is the thing that happened. Like what did I discover? What did I learn? How can I like be more you know, tapped into my spleen or my sacral this next time. Um, right. So is your spleen defined then? It is. Yeah. I have sacral, spleen, and root. And that's it. The rest of my chart's completely open. Oh my God. That's so interesting. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's talk about centers now, because I think that's the thing that I am like most interested about myself personally, because I think it's so fascinating to like look at someone's chart. Like for example, you just said your spleen, root, and sacral is defined and everything else is open. Whereas for me, my root and my spleen is open and then mm-hmm. I more like upper things that is more defined. <laughs> yeah, you're more like chest and, and like um, kind of part of the cradle, not the whole kind of cradle yeah. with energy. Yeah. yeah. But basically what I'm super interested by is how, and this, this is like so brilliant about human design because this explains why we have a different relationship with every single person mm-hmm. because our energy plays together differently. Like when I'm around someone who has, even just talking to you right now, I'm super chill because mm-hmm. you have a defined root. My, my, my root's not defined. So when I'm around people who have a defined root, like I'm, I don't know, like I just, I relax more into the moment. Like, um, it's like easier for me to just be here and be now like in the mm-hmm. moment. Um, whereas, you know, I'm sure when someone has an open center that I have to find, they can benefit from my energy as there as well. But what's so interesting is this explains why, like, for example, I have a different relationship with my mother, with my father, with my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about how our centers interact with each other. So tell us, tell us about that, because I find this to be like, you know, I think we should, before people do anything, in terms of like commitments and relationships, we should all just check our human designs and see how we <laughs> <back> each other. <laughs> I always, it's funny. One of my clients once he was like, we should get these polo shirts with our, with our like body graph embroidered on them. And yeah. he's like, I know they'd be ugly as hell, but at least we know, you know, Ooh, that person and I are going to play nice together. It's, it's funny. Like I've learned so much. I think it's, I've always considered myself a pretty empathetic person, but like learning human design has built so much more empathy in me because now I kind of get how people are wired and how the myriad ways they can be wired. So basically the, the centers themselves are based on the seven chakras. So again, the guy who channeled the system has this whole theory of human evolution. So again, this, you can take this with one big gigantic grain of salt. So it's up to you how much of this you take into it and how much you're like, no, this is cool. Um, So he basically says there's all these different points in our human evolution that are really important. And one of them happened in the 1780s. And so in the 1780s, prior to that, we used to have just seven centers. And he said we hit another step in our evolution and two of our centers split apart. And so the spleen, I believe it's the spleen, the solar plexus, they have so many similar things that they do, like emotions and fears are very intertwined, but those two things split apart. And the heart and the self used to be one center as well, and they split apart. That's why when you're like thinking about yourself being like who you are, what you value, what's within your integrity, and the heart being what are you passionate about, what do you want, like those, there's so much overlap there as well. So anywhere that we're defined um, or colored in in, the, in your chart, um, those are places where the characteristics that we have, the way that we use the energy through that specific center is going to be the same regardless of where we are, regardless of who's around. Anywhere that we're open, we're going to either take on the characteristics of the people that are around us by either mirroring their energy back to them 
or we're going to use them as a cell tower, like I talked about earlier, to get a better connection to who we are through that openness, because we have all those gates activated. Um, unless you have a completely open center, which Emily does in her, head, in her mind center, she doesn't have any gates activated there. And so um, that's almost like having a window without a screen. It's almost like through our centers that are open, we've got at least a screen in the window. We have something that's ours that kind of like filters a little bit of the energy that comes in. But anywhere that we're completely open, it's like leaving your window open with no screen there. Like if you're not watching birds, bats, bugs, bears, all these things can come coming in your window. Kind of like if you, you just want to make sure you don't treat it like a vulnerability, I guess. Um, in, in the, I always think of the term vulnerability. I, maybe I've been watching too, many, too much Game of Thrones. I've been trying to catch up before the, the final season. But like every time I think of vulnerability, I think of like the forts and they've got the, the sentries that like watch to make sure there's no like place where people can penetrate or get through. Uh, we don't want to think of our centers like that. It's, they're not things we have to guard and protect. It's more of just like, we need to be aware of, of what's coming in and what's coming out and how we're interacting with that in our body. Um, and so it's not like we want to like, I, I almost used to explain this incorrectly as well. Like I used to explain it as like, anytime we have energy coming in, we want to get rid of it because it's not ours. That's not necessarily true. The more I've kind of studied human design, the more I've, I've come to realize that like the universe is trying to teach us a lesson through our openness. Like anywhere that we're open, we're there to get wise about the way our body uses that energy or that, that, that kind of like energy works. So Emily, in your chart, like your head center is open. So you're here to get wise about inspiration and wise about like discernment and problem solving. Like through your open mind center, you're here to get wise about how we solve problems and like how we come to conclusions. Like through your open heart center, it's how getting wise about what you want and what you're passionate about and like learning how to navigate that energy. Through your root, it's wise about like, deadlines and timelines and how to be present and grounded in the moment and through the spleen it's getting wise about what's safe and what isn't um, and how to kind of navigate those things and so every time we're open we're taking in other people's energy around us and again when we're really healthy it's using it like a cell tower when we're feeling really vulnerable or weak and this happens to all of us um, or just really unsure sometimes we put on other people's energy like a costume and so like I said, I, I also have my heart center open. I also have my self center open. So I know when I've had times where I felt really at sea or maybe just kind of sensitive or just not sure of myself, I've definitely done the thing where I've put on other people's energy like a costume. Like a few years ago, I was going through, like I knew I wanted to quit a job that I was in and I, I did not know where I was going to go next. And I remember sitting down with a good friend of mine who has both herself and her heart center defined and she was about to go to law school. And afterwards, I was literally like, that's it. I need to go to law school. That's my direction. That's going to be what I'm passionate about. And it wasn't literally, and I literally had to laugh. I bought an LSAT, because I also have my head center open. I bought an LSAT prep book, like I, because I didn't navigate the pressure really well. I was like, I've got to take action now. And I get partway through, like I literally cracked it open and I'm through my first practice session for the LSAT and going, I hate this. Why am I doing this? Like, this isn't for me. And it, it was literally, it was the clarity my friend had. And I thought like, well, maybe I'll have that clarity. I guess on some sort of unconscious level, like I was thinking if I do what she's doing, I'm going to have that clarity. Right. And like, that's putting on the costume of someone else's energy. So we just want to be aware of when we're doing that and when it's actually authentically us. That's so interesting. So um, for me with, with my head, because I have my anja open as well. Um, but my mind yep. is that has absolutely like, no gates, no screen, essentially. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 
So I am very, very prone to like having a conversation. Like if I'm feeling vulnerable and for example, like if I don't know what to do with a decision, right. Or I'm feeling lost at sea, like you said, I'm very prone to like going to have a conversation with someone and then like taking on what they think is right or not right. And then like just living my life as though that's also my truth. So I yep. really to learn how to, like you said, discern, um, cause I can really like have a conversation with you and then be like, totally, this is exactly what's right and what's yep. wrong. Right. And then like two days later, I can go have another conversation with someone else and then also feel that same exact way when I'm feeling vulnerable. It's like, I take on people's like, especially if they have a closed mind center, like my dad has a closed mind center. So for a very long time, I was taking on like his viewpoint and his thoughts and his opinions almost as though they were my mm-hmm. own without ever really like questioning, like, does this, is this, yep. is this what I want? And then when I finally realized that like when, cause I went to school for journalism, cause that's what my dad thought I should really do. Like it was a mm-hmm. whole thing. For me. And then when I realized like, I don't want to be a journalist, like I want to be at first, like I, I was for sure that I wanted to be a psychologist. And then I decided I wanted to do something a bit more alternative and somatic experiencing and coaching and things like that. Um, yeah, like when I had the moment of like, whoa, what's real for me? Um, that was like life changing. But because mm-hmm. I was confused on what was right to do or not, I think because of my mind, you can tell me if there's other things that were influencing that. I just took on his beliefs as my own until I realized like, these aren't even my freaking beliefs. Like this this doesn't feel right in my solar plexus. It doesn't feel right in my sacral. Like this is just, this is not Mm -hmm. my, this is not, these are not my beliefs. It was your, it was your open heart. And it's, and I think it's the mind center, both of those being open for you. I think it's hard too, because a lot of times people with that openness, if they do tend to kind of agree with the people that they're around, they're the people that sometimes we project on or label as being like, indecisive or hypocritical or, you know, but it really, what it is, is they are convinced in that moment that the person they're talking to is correct. So like, it's helped me again, build a lot of empathy. Cause if I can look at your chart and see that in you, I'm like, she didn't lie to me. She wasn't like giving me lip service or like, you know, um, trying to make me believe or coerce me into thinking she agreed with me. You did agree with me in the moment. It's just other things happened since then that may have turned your mind in a different direction. So it's having the awareness now of like now when you go into a situation and like you ask someone for advice, let it sit with you for a while and see like, okay, when I'm by myself, does that still feel like the correct thing? And if I talk it over with someone else, do I still feel like that's the correct thing or do I feel myself drifting into their kind of territory? The challenge with you and I having the mind center open is that we can see so many different possibilities and so many different directions and so many different eventualities that like, it does become hard for us sometime to figure out like, well, what do I decide? What do I think definitively? Because we're just so open in that way. Yeah. And I guess that's like beneficial for us in some ways, because it's like, we can, I'm, I'm sure that you, well, I mean, I feel that from you. Um, so I'm sure people have told you before, like, it feels like I could tell you anything and you would be like, of course, this makes sense because of this, you know, like mm-hmm. you open to all different opinions, all different kinds of thoughts. You'd be able to see, um, the perspective of everybody involved. So like, there's a gift in that, but then also it's more so I've learned, I have to kind of go back to my own self and then check in with my centers that are defined to see like mm-hmm. what, what feels really aligned for me. And then what did I maybe pick up from, a, from another person that might, cause sometimes if you pick up something and you're like, I love this, this is so, yeah. 
And then other you pick it up and then you're like, oh, I think I need to do this, but it might not be the case. And then that's when you can run into trouble, correct? Oh, absolutely. And it's funny because you and I being wired to have the mindset are open. Um, it's funny. There's, there's a certain type of person that like for years would just like, I don't dislike, and I have an open heart center. So this might resonate with other people I have an open heart center. There's not many people in this world. I strongly dislike, like it takes a lot for me to like really not like you. <laughs> I'm pretty open like that. But, um, one of the things that used to drive me nuts about people was when you were trying to have a conversation and they just refused to see things from your perspective. Yeah. And once I learned human design, I learned that there's, there's actually a way people's charts can be set up where they've got the head defined and the mind defined, but they have no connectivity between the mind and the throat. Like 17 to 62 is blank, or 43 to 23 is blank, 11 to 56 is blank, and they've got the top two centers defined. Those are folks that if they haven't experienced it, they literally cannot acknowledge that it's true. Like that gives us more compassion for like people who genuinely like, for example, to us, it's like, why don't you just be more progressive? Like it's so, yeah. like what, what are you doing? You know, you almost have to make the experience their experience. Like, um, like to be a little controversial for a minute. Like I remember, um, back in New York city, seeing, um, a police officer, um, treat a girl of color really inappropriately for jumping a turnstile when I had noticed that like my card had also not worked at that turnstile, but he had let me through the emergency gate. And I remember being like so angry with him and so furious with him. And I remember sitting um, and just like yelling at this guy. And um, afterwards I was telling the story to a friend of mine and I remember him being like, but that doesn't happen that often. Like cops are fair. Like racial profiling's not a thing. And being like, whoa, hold on a minute. And right. like he really, and I look back and I'm like, I wonder if in his chart he had those two centers closed. And it would almost be like, I would almost have to take him to, to work with me and take him through my commute and show him like, watch what happens in this neighborhood or watch what happens in this area or watch the police interact with that group of people for him to experience it, to physically see, oh crap, maybe this is something that happens, which again, it's, it's so, it shouldn't have to be that hard, but it is really frustrating sometimes. Like you almost have to make the experience that person's experience before they can even acknowledge, yeah, that could happen. And even then sometimes they don't. So it's, it's like, it's almost like, um, if it didn't happen to them at that point as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's almost like, you know, cop shows where they have the murder board. And I don't know why I'm going on a police theme here. Like there's always like the, like the perp and then they've got the red string to the evidence. And they've got the red string to the crime scene. It's almost as if people with that mind and head defined, um, if they can't figure out where the evidence goes in the cop board, they throw it away. And people with at least the mind and head defined, but with connectivity to the throat, it's almost like they internally have like a side bulletin board where they're like, I don't know where this goes yet, but I'm going to figure it out. And let me actually call in other people and see if they can give me advice or counsel or help me see where things could go. Um, you and I though, it's almost like our, there's so many different layers Our like our murder board is like multidimensional. Like we've got a 3d diorama thing going on with ours. Cause there's just so many different possibilities and red string, but it's almost like we have to kind of, you know, we want to, it's had me, it's given me a bit more compassion for people who just toss out the evidence that doesn't, you know, or toss out an experience that they haven't, they haven't actually experienced themselves. Yeah. Um, I think it's, just, it's hard because you want to, I mean, my gut is always like, what the hell is wrong with that person? But now that I've dug into human design, I'm like, okay, I can kind of see where that's coming from. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean it make it correct. Um, and what's nice is being able to kind of counsel people who are wired that way to be like, 
you need to put a post-it note in your pocket that's like, what am I not understanding? What am I not seeing? How am I limited by my own experiences? Like, who can I ask? Like, who can I, how can I open up? Right. And I think that's a good point. I think human design in general makes us more compassionate toward everybody. Like, Mm -hmm. we were discussing um, when we were doing my reading how for you, you've kind of almost healed a lot of the things with your mom through understanding how your chart interacts with one another. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, my mother has, um, is a manifesting generator, but she's got emotional authority. And I know as a child, when she was going through some of like, she was changing jobs, she was going, putting herself back through school. Like, and I know she's someone also that was raised in a household, not to go too personal with my family, but, um, like that was Roman Catholic. That was very much like, and it was the fifties. It was very different era. Like it was, you know, it wasn't encouraged for her to have her emotional wave to like feel through things, to make a decision. Like that wasn't seen as that wasn't acceptable in that family. We always joke that like, that's the side of the family where like, we all have a gin and tonic and no one talks about their problems. Um, but, uh, my mom, like when she was going through something stressful or frustrated, it's like, I could feel it in my own solar plexus. Cause mine is open. I could feel her feelings in my body and I would mirror them back at her or magnify them back at her. And like, you know, so she'd say something to me with like maybe a little edge to her voice or maybe, you know, frustrated because she was tired. And I would just like explode. Like, what is your problem? Why do you hate me? And it was just like completely like, but I was also a teenager. I didn't know how to like navigate the, you know, the openness that I had in my chart. And likewise, I think she was denying the wave in her own chart. Like she wasn't feeling her feelings. They were building up and kind of boiling over. And I didn't know what to do with the ones that were sitting in my body. So like, when I looked at her chart in my own and I kind of even talked back, it was actually funny over Christmas, I did a chart reading for her and um, just talking through the whole thing. We were like, now, you know, ages 11 to 15, how <laughs> make complete sense because here's how like our energies were hitting each other. And like, we didn't know, neither of us knew or had the languaging to figure out how, what to do about it. Yeah. And um, for me, like I've especially understood my relationship with my dad through human design so that really speaks to me. My dad has all his centers defined except his self. And, oh, wow. And he's a manifesting generator, much like I. Um, but what's so interesting is the one thing that I've always noticed about my dad is that he takes on other people's identities, not in his work life, because his work life has always, always been really defined for him. But whenever he's in a relationship, he like becomes who he's with. And I never understood that about him. And I was always like really perplexed by it because my myself is defined. So I'm very, very um, clear on, uh, on that front. Whereas he like at one point, like he still has like canoes in his garage from the time he dated someone who was like super into like the wilderness. Like, you know, like he just, <laughs> he just, he just yeah. other people's identities like that. He dates. I don't really know what that's about. That's not my story to tell, but I just started understanding him. Oh, I do. Yeah. yeah I, because mine's open as well. I've, I mean, I'm, people have their self center open. They're so open to just, they know they're meant to walk many paths. They know they're meant to wear many hats. And a lot of times because we don't have that one clear thing um, that we know is our direction, we kind of, when, whenever something kind of piques our interest there, we want to try it on. And I've definitely like, you know, I'm, oh God, I'm, I'm the worst too with that, with dating people. If like, there's someone who's got a specific author they love, like I'll go out and read everything that author's ever written, like to try to get to know that because I want to know them better. But at the same time too, it's almost like, 
you know, there's that, there's a magnetism to you guys who have that, that definition. And sometimes we don't even, we're not aware we're doing it. We think we're going to have that same kind of clarity if we just do the things you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's like completely subconscious, but other times it's like, wow, that person has a really strong, you know, belief system or moral system or like viewpoint, like, let me try that on myself mm -hmm. and maybe I'll have that clarity. Yeah, and that's so interesting because I have actually felt a lot of, so we're talking about the self-center for people yep. listening. Um, I Mine's defined, so um, I don't really pick up other people's energy there, but I can basically, other people can pick up on mine if they have theirs open, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I've often felt that people were copying me a lot, and I don't really care that much if people are copying me. Like it's just well, it's imitations is sincerest form of flattery. But it's always been a thing for me since I'm little mm -hmm. that people copy me. Like, and I I can see it, and especially like in the way that I talk. Like if I'm around other people for a while, they start talking like me, and I don't I don't yep. do it on purpose or anything. They just start to like pick up my mannerisms, and then if I look at their chart, the people who do this usually have open self centers, and it's or so throat. Like, cause that's me. I don't even realize I'm doing it with people. If I'm around someone who says bro a lot, I start saying bro. Yeah. Or like if I'm around someone who uh, pauses a lot or has a specific cadence to their voice, like it's completely not, in, not intentional. In fact, it's actually really funny. When I was in um, a sales position, I would work in the South a lot. And I'd find mm -hmm. that the more time I spent in New Mexico, by the end of the week, I, I had a very distinctive twang <laughs> to my voice. And it's like, I grew up in Maryland, south of the Mason-Dixon. So like, I had a little bit of a, a Southern, not drawl, but like a little bit of a Southern kind of y'alls. And you know, it comes out in full force. But it's funny because it's like, I'm picking up on other people's speech and articulation. And, you know, and when I'm in the classroom, same thing. My friends would make so much fun of me. They're like, you have such an elementary school teacher voice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't really. No, I don't. And then I watched a video of me teaching my first graders. And I was like, oh my gosh, I do. I, I am Miss D. It's a whole other thing going on out there. And it just, it's like, because it's so unconscious to us, like those of us, especially with the open throat as well. And then it, like, that's why it's always crazy with my chart. Cause I've got the one, two punch of like, well, what the one, three punch really of the heart self and throat all open that sometimes I can just kind of like really match the energy of the people that I'm around. That can also be really exhausting. Um, but it's also, I mean, it's just so funny because it's not a conscious thing. It's not like I walked into work every day and go, I got to put my first grade teacher hat on right now. It's just like the kids show up and I would have a specific energy that I would give to them. Um, because it would match, it would match like them. In a, in a, yeah. 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 I would just kind of meet them where they were. Um, and it's so funny because people like you who've got the self and the throat defined, like if you and I were out having dinner, I would probably... It even it would probably be amplified if we were in the same room. Let me just put it that way. Like it would, I would totally find myself probably picking up on your mannerisms, your pacing, your tone, your your energy around that. And like you probably notice it, and I wouldn't. Like you'd be like, "Wait, girl, you're saying you're using my language, you're using my catchphrase," and I'm like, "Sorry, like I didn't even like I, I don't realize I'm doing it." Yeah, um, it's actually really interesting that you bring that up because it is true. I do have the throat and the self-defined, so I find. Um, I really do find like people will use my voice a lot and they don't do it on purpose, but even yep. I've had like clients who I've had to like straight up have a conversation with and be like, Hey, listen, like I, you're using my voice and it's not that it's like, I hate you for it at all. I just, I want to encourage you to use your own voice. It's just, this is the way I talk. Yeah. 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 And, and, and when I, when I've had to have those conversations with people, just because I do so much copywriting and content writing, um, it's important 
you know, that's part of, I think my, my gifts. Right. But also Mm -hmm. when I'm not there, then people just kind of like, just take on, if they have an open throat or open self, I feel they just take on my identity in that way and, or my voice in that way. And that's not necessarily like the Mm -hmm. point of it all. So I have to like bring it to their attention and that's happened or it's happened with, um, friends who I've had to be like, listen, like, I think, um, this is becoming awkward because like you're basically doing the same thing I'm doing and I'm not sure if you're noticing yeah like but this Mm -hmm. is what's going on so I think it's so interesting whereas where um and when I'm in contact with people who have more so of a defined self or a defined throat um I don't find that that happens so that's interesting so I think that's a really beautiful example to showcase to people how Mm-hmm. Um, we affect each other. Um, now, let's say, like me and my friend, um, one of my best friends, Desiree. She's a manifester, and obviously, she's going to have her throat defined at that point. So, because both of us have our throat de- defined, what does that do? Like, how does our energy play with each other when we're together? I feel like we're intense together. Um, in mm-hmm. a really beautiful way, we get along amazingly. She has the incarn- the left incarnation cross of informing. So I ah, have, yeah. yeah. And I have the left incarnation cross of confronting or con- confrontation, which yes. is interesting. We're like, I'm going to confront and then you're going to inform, you know? So you're uh, going to tell me about what I just did and why I just did it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So like when two people have um, like the throat and the throat defined, let's just use that example. What happens then? Like, well, we- they're bringing their own energy to the table. Like, like you're not mirroring each other. You're not, you know, amplifying each other. You have your own kind of stuff going on. It's like, you know, um, it's like going to a dinner, going to a restaurant, each ordering your own entree, as opposed to like ordering stuff for the table and sharing. Like you kind of are bringing your own energies to the table. And then if you add someone to the mix, who's got the open throat, like they're sampling both of your energies and trying to figure out which one kind of feels better as they're you know, kind of seated with you. So anywhere we're defined, like we bring our own stuff to the table, but anywhere that we're open, like that's when we start kind of taking in other people's things. So yeah, I mean, I could definitely see, you know, it probably does get intense because you're both very clear. You both come like you're both very articulate. You both kind of know, um, you, you communicate very effectively and clearly with each other. So yeah, it probably feels a lot more succinct and you're probably getting there a lot easier than like poor, like someone like me, I always joke like, I'm kind of the worst of the podcast interview because I can talk around something for like, you know, it takes me a while sometimes to get to my point. Um, but I do a lot better when I'm talking with someone like you, who's got the definition when it's just me and another client who we both have an open throat. I'm like, buckle up. It's going to be a long session because <laughs> it's like, I have nothing to work from here. And like, it just, sometimes I'm going to put my foot in my mouth or articulate something incorrectly and have to kind of rewind the tape back a little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. Um, so it's so, but so in that way, like we help each other um, out all the time, which is which is amazing. Like for example, um, I have the spleen and the root open. Like I'm more interested in like my spleen is open, and um, that and I have gates too that like make me a little. It, like my biggest issue in life is always anxiety, right? So yep because my spleen is open, like, what does that mean? Cause I know that there's a lot of people who listen to the pod who have anxiety, who we can probably mm-hmm. have open spleens as well. Um, so yeah, this, the spleen being open. So I kind of talked about a little bit earlier about what it's like when it's defined. It's you have, I always define the spleen as like people who do have it closed. It's like, we have this internal radar that every time we walk into a room, it's almost like the radar is like scanning the environment and giving us a really clear answer and a ping in terms of what's safe and what's not. And for people who have it open, 
it's like you're getting the messages, but you don't necessarily have the, the cipher to determine the code, right? It's almost as if like, you know, you're going to a restaurant in a country where you don't speak the language and you're trying really hard to flip fast through the translation guide, but like the waiter's speaking too fast for you to like keep up. It's, it's almost overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you just don't have the cipher for the code. And so like, you're getting all these sensations and feelings. And like a lot of times you guys get being, you guys get projected on as being like anxious or nervous or, you know, just like nervous Nellies. And it, it's more just because you, your body can't keep up with the signals that it's receiving. So a lot of times you guys feel a lot better when you're around people who have it defined because for, through the definition, you can be like, okay, let me, like, for example, if you and I were hanging out, um, say you and I walked into a restaurant and I was like, we're leaving. Like you might've gotten all the signals that were like, something's off here. I don't know what it is. Like, I feel like a lot of like, I feel nervous, but I don't know what it is. And I'd be calm. I'd be like, no, we're going. That guy's sketchy as hell. <laughs> like I don't, or, or, you know, there's just something about the ambiance in this place. Like we're leaving. Um, and it would just like, because I would have the, I would have the code for the cipher, if that makes sense. Yeah. So this is so interesting because my friend Amanda, who's actually on the podcast as well, at some point, um, we were hanging out the other day and she's a projector, but she does have her spleen defined. Mm-hmm. And um, she was telling me this crazy story. I won't tell the story because it's hers to tell, but she was telling me this crazy story of like an adventure she had in New York City. And it's like, I, like the whole time my jaw was like open because I was like, oh my God, like I'd be freaking out if I like took all of these quote unquote like risks to like, she was just on this adventure, like living her life, having the best mm-hmm. life ever. But like, I wouldn't have been able to like tap into like, is this safe or not? So like it yeah. was fun for me, but she kept really like hammering into the point that like she would check in with herself and I'm assuming she was checking in with her spleen and yeah. kept getting the message like, this is fine, this is fine. At one point she did like this isn't a this is a this isn't fine anymore and that's when she removed herself from the situation yep like up until that point like everything was cool and she had a great night but if i was in that situation like i would have just not been able to deal with it because i wouldn't have yeah. been like is the state is this not there's a million things that could potentially happen like i can't i don't mm-hmm. have access to like that like you're saying that clarity of um like this is the thing that I find so cool about people who have defined spleen. It's like, even if it's a, this is an unsafe situation, you're still calm about it. <laughs> yeah. Cause we kind of know, and especially if you've got the root, the spleen root connected, like, so the, here's, here's how my body operates. And it's a little funny. Like, so my spleen is defined. So I get the pings and I kind of can get the clear message. My roots defined, which means I'm really good at like, basically navigating stressful situations with like a bit more ease and calm than a lot of other people are. And I've got my solar plexus open, which means I can feel other people's feelings in my body. So like I've definitely walked into situations before and been like, I can feel the anger. I can feel the tension. My spleen is telling me it's not safe, but I'm calm enough to back back out and like get out of there, especially like living in New York city. Like, um, God, I had a night where, um, I remember, walking, I was going to take a turn down a specific street and just my gut, I had this, like, I just all of a sudden felt really anxious. My gut was like, don't do it. And I took a different way home. And it turned out like I heard a police car, like a couple of minutes later and like something had literally just happened on that street, but it wasn't something I could physically see. I just, cause it was a longer Avenue. And I just kind of had this feeling like, ah, I don't want to walk this way. And I just followed the ping and like, you know, but it's just, it's weird having, but I didn't get freaked out. I didn't take off running. I just was nervous. I just kind of very calm. And I was like, 
and I'm going to walk. And I got home and I turned on the news and it turned out like that bank had been robbed that was down the street or something. And like, I don't know if I, like it was right as they were responding or if the guy was still in the neighborhood or I don't know. I just picked up on something being not okay with that like mm-hmm. scenario. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's just weird. <laughs> what happens when you have an open spleen like I and um, you, like how do you keep yourself safe? And because I can get a feeling like this isn't safe, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not. So I get super confused. Like, yeah, what do you do when that happens? Like, where do you rely on? Do you rely back on your authority? Like, what do you do? Well, I think this is why we need other people, right? So like, if you're out and you're, you know, around a bunch of people and everyone else seems like it's fine, you're just probably picking up on a lot of energies at once and your body's having a hard time sorting through them. But if you're noticing, like if you and I were out together and you're noticing like I'm on edge, like my spidey spence sense is tingling, tingling, like you're probably that, like I would listen to that. I think that's part of, you know, human design is we need other people and like we can kind of, you know, and there's other parts of your body that are going to give you those kind of senses and those kind of like, you know, pings anyway. Like, um, like you, for example, um, well, we, we talked a little bit about this before, like you have gate 28 activated in your chart, which is all about risk taking. Um, and like, what's a, what's a good risk to take versus what's not a safe risk to take. And, um, and yours is around like what gives you value or like what is going to like help you get to where you need to go in life, like what propels you forward. And so like, that's the type of thing you'd want to kind of like feel out around multiple people. Um, Love it. That's so helpful. Yeah. yeah, that's so helpful. And I actually love this concept that in human design, we, it, it, we need each other, right? And that's something that the podcast is so, yeah. it's such a theme of the podcast and it's such, such a te- theme of my own work in terms of nervous system health. And biologically, I'm always telling everybody like, but we need each other. Like, you know, like oh, we totally do. We're all, and I love the idea that human design is like, we have manifestors, we have the different types of generators, we have the projectors and we have the reflectors because we're all meant to do a specific job in the threat in the, the mm-hmm. why basically. Right. So like, yeah. Oh, that just like speaks to my soul so deeply. Um, and it's another thing. One of the things he talks a lot about in his, the guy, the guy who like created, I guess, channel the system in his foundational writings, he talks a lot about, you know, doing things in, for the service or in service to the greater good and service to the community. Like this is something that I feel like doesn't get the spotlight it, it should in human design. But if you scroll to like the bottom of your chart, especially if you do it on my body graph, they'll tell you how many lines you have living in the collective, how many you have living individual, how many you have living in what they call the tribal. I call it the community. Um, but so much of our charts are not just like who we are as individuals, but it's how we're meant to impact each other, how other people are meant to impact us. And like a lot of times, and he goes into this really deeply when he talks about the gates and the channels, how if we start doing things in a way that's like, I'm a spiritually narcissist where it's like my wants, my desires, my needs. It's like, and you know, screw what's going on with other people. Like it's, it's all about me. Things don't work out well. And if we go the opposite polarity as well, if we go to a place where it's like, well, I'm not important, it's what other people want and other people need, and it's like others at the, you know, expense of self, things don't go well in that way either. Like human design like looks at, it aims for this like lovely kind of balance where it's like higher self, greater good being the thing that kind of drives us forward. So if in this kind of utopian ideal with all the the different, you know, manifestors doing their thing and generators doing their thing it's because we all see our place within the collective and we all kind of see um 
how it, my work contributes to you and then your work contributes to me. And like, it's all about symbiotic and mutually beneficial relationships. Yeah. And I love that because that's just what I'm intuitively like gravitated toward all the time. And I Mm -hmm. feel like I always say like, I'm just doing my slice of the work so that we can all show up better, like for each other. Yes. That's how we all survive ultimately, right? Yeah, um, a lot of the I Ching talks about that as well. And that's where the gates come in because all of the gates are like parts of the, the I Ching yeah. and like the lines and things like that. So more about the gates. So I actually had a gate thing. I opened um, something because, okay, the gates was kind of creepy for me in my reading because I was like, <laughs> oh, what do you know about this? Like, I don't even say this to anyone. And I'm someone who like talks a lot about my vulnerabilities, but this is something that I don't ever talk about um because mm-hmm. it, I don't know it just it feels intense so I have I wanted to talk to you about what the gates were but then I wanted to touch on fear of, of inadequacy which was gate 36 that I oh, have I've got that one too you and I are both like oh goodness yeah. so yeah. in the gate so every every gate in our chart if it's in a center we have fine like I mentioned earlier we carry that lesson that gift with us all the time if it's something that we have open, like other people are here to help us either gain access to that skill or like learn that specific lesson. And if the gate lives in our mind center, our spleen or our solar plexus, they not just teach us a lesson, but we get a fear that goes along with it as well. I call them the fear gates because they all, if they're not sitting in a channel and it's so weird the way this works out. So like if you had had um, 36 connected to 35, like if you had had that whole channel, you wouldn't have the fear aspect. But because you just have gate 36 activated, you get the fear aspect, which in you, it's, and I have it as well. The gift we get through the gate of crisis is like this passion, this push to have these new experiences. Like we want to be calling in things that are new, that are deep, that are intimate, that are resonant, but we get nervous about our own enoughness. And like, that's kind of like the universe. It's like, it couldn't just give us this desire without like teaching us something through it. So I know this rears for its ugly head for me all the damn time, myself and my own chart with like, I'll start dating someone who's wonderful. And I know like that stupid voice inside my head is like, well, what if I'm not enough for them? Am I thin thin enough? Am I pretty enough? Do I make enough money? Am I successful enough? Am I going to keep them interested? Like, you know, am I enough for this person? Or, you know, you know, you'll meet somebody and maybe as you start to get to know them, you're like, God, their life is so interesting. Is my life interesting enough for them to like, you know, be interested? Can I keep their interest or even sexually? Cause that's another part of this as well as with the, so like, everything emotional sacral in that cradle is very primal too. It's like, that could be another fear. Like, am I going to be able to please this person? Yeah. For me, that's how it comes up. And that's why I was like, how the F because I was like, I never talk about this, like, mm-hmm. ever, but it's been a thing that's been so present for me, especially when I started just being sexually active with other people, like, I, I remember being like, am I going to do this right, am I going to be okay, like, and I, where I've had the most pain in my life has been around my sexuality, and um, relationships like that. Mm-hmm. So when you like told me about this gate and I read the prompts and things, I was like, okay, like this is like, again, eerily like accurate because I don't ever mm-hmm. talk about this. I don't even really like speak it out loud to myself that much, but it's just something that yeah. lives within me um, that I found so interesting um, to be part of my human design because I never really questioned like, why is it, why is it there? Like I was like, oh, maybe it has something to do well- with my developmental trauma. I don't know. But like, but I think it's also has to do with your sixth line because the sixth line, and this is something you and I talked about in our reading, but um, the sixth line, anyone who has a sixth line in their chart, whether it's dominant or, you know, the unconscious lives their life in these three really distinct phases and birth to 30 
is all about trial and error. And a lot of our trial and error can be in relationships, dating people who are not right for, throwing ourselves headfirst into the things, maybe risking emotional intimacy too quickly or sexual intimacy too quickly. And it's, it's like, that's what sometimes patterns us with this enoughness. Or like, I know for me, like it was being bullied, you know, when I was a kid being, um, you know, there was a boy I had a crush on in fifth grade and like, everybody made fun of me for it because I thought he was cute. He was a redhead. He had freckles. Like I thought he was adorable, but apparently he wasn't popular. And like, that was a big deal. And anyway, just like little things I know getting patterned, like in middle school, having crushes and, you know, and not being, I was kind of an ugly duckling as a kid. Let me just put it that way. And like, um, so a lot of the messaging I got around my own attractiveness, my own like worthiness of relationships. Like I know where my 36 pattern came from, but the way I tried to work that out through my, my, well, I'm a third line all through my life because I'm a one three. But if I were a six, like it, for me, it was during my early twenties and, and my, you know, college years trying to work out what should a relationship feel like? What's the appropriate amount of emotional or sexual intimacy and like overcorrecting sometimes and undercorrecting other times and through trial and error, figuring that out. And that's a big thing for any six line during that, that third line phase of birth to Saturn return is that bonds main broken, figuring out like who's safe, who isn't. Like what, what does emotional intimacy feel like in a way that's really healthy for me? Mm-hmm. And like, what does it feel like when it's out of whack? And like, how do I take care of myself enough to let go of relationships that are no longer pushing me and challenging me in a healthy way? Because, um, and I think we talked about this a little bit during your reading. I, um, tarot is another passion of mine and the lover's card in tarot it always drives me nuts when people are like, I got this, I got the lovers in my tarot reading. That means I have a soulmate. And it's like, well, not necessarily like the tarot in the tarot, the lovers cards, all about the lessons we learn through other people and gate 36, especially during that birth to 30, you know, third line period is all about how do I have a relationship or build a relationship, friendships, romantic relationships, sexual relationships, where like the amount of intimacy is healthy and the amount of vulnerability is healthy. And like, we're both growing, we're both learning, we're both changing. And if it becomes too lopsided, we're like, I'm watering their garden and my poor garden looks like the Sahara desert over here. Like that's not okay. Yeah. And that's been so true for me. So that's so interesting. And that brings me, so, okay. From a human design perspective, it's almost like my soul kind of signed up or like wanted to like, like work through this stuff basically. Yeah. It's showing up in the, like for you and I, like it's showing up in these gates that um, are challenge points for us. Like, yep. like the spleen being defined for you or whatever is there, like super easy for you. The throat and the cell for me, super easy. But then I also, and we all, I'm assuming, have some growth points that we kind of almost, from a human design perspective, yep. find up to kind of work through. Work through, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so cool. So then you're talking a lot about profiles, um, and that's mm-hmm. something that I wanted to touch. So, um, okay. And this is something I wanted to ask you for my own personal gain, to be quite honest. Um, yeah. You said to me on my reading and then I, I just t- took in the information at that point because there was so much, but then I started thinking about it. You said my, like my specific profile indi- can indicate many things. And I love what you said. And I'll, I want you to tell us about what the profile means in human design. But you also said something along the lines of like, oh, a three, six, cause I'm a three, six, correct? Yes. You're a six, two. I'm a six, two. See, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have like, your chart in front of me. That's why I made sure I like re-listened to your reading like before you sat down. Four, I don't know. Um, I'm, see, I, I got you confused because I'm a one three and you live your first 30 years as a three when you're a six. So you're a six too. Barack Obama, 
And uh, Zelda Fitzgerald were also six, or Barack Obama is a six two. Um, correct. Uh, no, it's uh, Charles Dickens, Isidore Duncan, maybe Anne Frank. Yeah, it's like a bunch of random folks. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, but you said something around the lines of like a six two has a soulmate usually. And yes. I was like, what does that all mean? I, I was like, wait a minute. Tell me, I have a soulmate again. That's reassuring. But I want to. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know why that is and if certain profiles like have specific types because actually a lot of the questions that I got that people wanted me to ask you um, from social media was about human design and dating. So I want to oh, yeah. do profile stuff and then tell me about the soulmate thing and then tell me about dating each other, like what type goes well with what. I'm going to let you like talk for a long time. So Okay. <laughs> Remember to interrupt me a couple of times through and like redirect you if you need to. Hashtag open throat problem. Um, okay. So let's start with the soulmate thing because um, sixes, there's every, okay. Every profile has these like key terms or like major keys. I like, I like to channel DJ Khaled when I do my readings. There's some major keys that happen with every single profile type. And um, in the six line, uh, the major key for the bonding strategy is soulmate or not. And so you're someone who, as you grow into your post-Saturn return, um, into Chiron return, and then Chiron return into, well, death, whatever that is. Um, and what I mean by Saturn return is like around our 28th, 29th birthday, it depends when Saturn goes back into your natal house, um, like that kind of big changes kind of end up happening in our lives. Um, Chiron return happens around our 50th birthday. Um, and so basically those kind of are the benchmarks that kind of divide up the life of the six line. So typically birth to 30 for a six, like we talked about earlier, is so much trial and error. And it's like trying on relationships, trying on um, levels of intimacy, trying on emotional vulnerability, trying on what feels good and what doesn't, and learning like what is going to be healthy and what isn't. And a lot of times the bonds that we make birth to 30, whether we're a third line or whether we're a six line in that birth to 30 phase, um, a lot of times they don't last past that. If they do, they're people that are meant to walk with us through a whole bunch of different stuff. They're supposed to kind of be with us through a bunch of different incarnations. And it's a bond that every day we're like, or every time we're with that person, we're renewing the bond. We're kind of like taking a step and recommitting ourselves to that relationship, that energy. Um, for, but, any, but when those relationships stop being harmonious or when they stop growing us or pushing us or changing us, we're meant to break the bond and let it go. And it doesn't have to be something as big as like, I think about like Gabby Bernstein has this beautiful um, cord cutting meditation where you like imagine a sword of white light, like breaking the energetic cord between you and someone else. Like it doesn't have to be that drastic. Mm -hmm. It can literally just be like, I have to shut the door on this relationship right now. Like it's not pushing me. It's not growing me. Or it's getting to the point where it's like not healthy for either party or maybe just one party and it needs to just, it needs to end for right now. And maybe later if we both grow and evolve, we can open that door again. Um, for myself being a one, three, when I unpacked the bonds main broken part of my chart, I was like, that makes so much sense because I've always been someone who's had like very emotionally intense, but very short relationships, like three months, six months where it's like, you feel like you've gone through hell and back with that person. And you're like, how could it have only been three months or how could it have only been half a year? Um, and maybe those are people I haven't walked with. Or I used to have um, like groups of friends from specific periods of time in my life, but they didn't transition from one cycle to the next or one period of time to the next. And I used to carry a lot of shame and guilt. Like, what's wrong with me? Why don't I have people that like stuck with me through everything? But it, it's more of like we served each other in the way we were supposed to during that time. And now the bond is broken and we're, I'm learning new lessons with new people. Um, 
with a six line though, once they hit their 30 to 50 phase, where they get to kind of be, they get time to kind of take all the trial and error from birth to 30 and turn it into like reflect on it and like really kind of like turn it over in their mind and figure out, well, what happened? Why did it happen? What did I learn? What did I discover? And turn it in from that into wisdom. Um, that's when things start settling down. It's when they kind of retreat a little bit. They stop making such crazy, you know, big risks. A lot of times things just start settling. And so during this time, the, the career tends to settle down. Friends and family tend to settle down. And the soulmate tends to kind of show up. And so it doesn't necessarily mean your pattern for like one epic, you know, soulmate. Like I always think of like Disney movie love or whatever it is. It could be multiple people. It could be like you're, you're just patterned to have really deep, intimate soul level relationships with people. Um, but those people start either like showing themselves to you because you've already met them, but like that's who they become during the, the 30 to 50 phase or, um, or they just show up. Um, during that phase. And it doesn't mean you, can, you can't meet them beforehand. If you do meet them beforehand, they're just made, meant to walk with you through a bit more of the discovery process mm-hmm. before you, know, you hit that, that reflection period where you kind of retreat a little bit, lick your wounds, learn your lesson, or like figure out what lessons you learned um, to get ready for your kind of wise woman phase at the end of the, at the start of your Chiron return. So typically those people tend to come in around um, yeah, around that part in the, in the chart. So yeah. every profile has a little bit of a different, like either bonding strategy or emotional resonance or sexuality. And like, that's an interesting place to kind of look to see like, well, what are the, what are the major keys? Do you know, again, quote yeah. DJ Khaled of, of my profile. <laughs> and so with the profiles though, so there's a bunch of different types. So there's basically the profiles come from um, the lines of the hexagram. And this all goes back to the I Ching. So everybody has their conscious son um, living on a specific gate in their chart. So if you want to like, you know, get down to how to actually understand your human design chart 101, um, that's why I love my body graph. They have a window view of your chart where you can click on it and there's like a whole chart properties tab that like lists all this stuff out for you. Um, But if you wanted to like hack it old school, um, look at the top right in the chart. It'll be one of the black boxes. You'll see the picture of the, or the astrological symbol for the sun. There's going to be a big number and that's what gate the sun lives with. And that's your incarnation cross. And then it's going to live on a specific line. Typically there's a decimal and then there's a number. That's typically the first line in your profile. And then if you go over to your unconscious design in the red, whatever uh, number is after the decimal on that side is the line that's on the bottom of your profile. So like, for example, you're a six, two, um, I've definitely, uh, like I'm a one, three, there's two fours, there's four ones. There's like a whole bunch of different combinations. Um, what I've kind of discerned is like the numbers one through three all are about like how we learn and what ways we learn, um, as we kind of take it information through life. So like people who have a one in their profile need to learn through like traditional schooling, research, tons of reading, um, classes, like we, we're big research nerds, basically. Two is have an innate natural talent and they have to learn how to nurture it on their own. Threes tend to have to bump into things and they learn things through lived experience. Um, and then the top lines of the hexagram, lines four, five, and six, they're all about how we lead and when we lead wow. and like how we determine who the right people are for us. Mm-hmm. And so um, like fours need a network and build really strong relationships with people. Um, fives typically are like the person who comes in and like solves the problem and sixes grow into being like guides and leaders in that way. So every, but it's all coming through lived experience. They kind of have to go through that like trial and error phase 
so that they can actually speak with authority and gravitas and experience of, you know, what they've learned and walk through. So I, the profile is basically how you walk through the world, how you live out your karma. Um, so it's always really fascinating to kind of go back through and like see, you know, what numbers you are. And that's where the compatibility actually best comes out. So there's a book that I use, and I don't think it's worth buying the book just for this specific information because it's literally like four sentences out of like hundreds of pages. But it's uh, Chayton Parkhan's book, uh, Human Design, Discover the Person You Were Born to Be. He does tell compatibility for the different profiles. It's like just two sentences. And it's the information I'm going to include on my site um, as I'm building the profiles as well. But six twos, for example, um, you do really well with other six twos and three fives. Like those are your like soulmate kind of match people um, who are going to really get you. They're going to get the way you walk through the world. They're going to get your energy. Um, and you're also going to find really easy relationships with people that are two fours, that are four sixes, and that are six threes. Um, and so other types, again, it may not be as synergistic or as harmonious. It doesn't mean it can't work. But I always tell people like, you know, I, I'm such a nerd. I'm one of those people who's like, when's once it gets to a certain point in the relationship, I'm like, when were you born? <laughs> like, tell me the story of your birth um, because I want to run the chart at some Location. point. Yeah, everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I love, I love that you just explained like um, the profile is basically how like you show up in the world and live out your karma because the 6-2 line for me is so true because um, the two represents kind of like the hermit feeling, correct? Yes. Yep, yep, yep. It's your innate talent. Like hermits typically have something they're really, really good at, but they don't know they're good at it. Like other people have to almost tell you you're good at it or it's something that's just so natural to you that you don't even realize it's a talent. Like a lot of times people will tell you and you're like, can't everyone do that? But like they can't, like it's just something that's really unique to you. So um, yeah. And, and you guys tend to need a lot of time alone to nurture that talent to like, just kind of like be by yourself and nerd out and like grow that thing and indulge in that thing that you're really good at. And then at some point, like something happens, there's like a click or a, you just realize like, it's time for me to go and share this with the rest of the world. And for you, you continue to grow into it. And like, by the time you hit your Chiron return, you are going to be like all kind of wise woman vibes, like sharing that, that deep, deep gift with the rest of the world. And it's going to feel really natural and effortless to you. Cool. I love that. So I love the compatibility thing. Um, I think people want to know more so because they are in tune with the types, like, if, yeah, you know, like what, what type goes best with what type, et cetera, et cetera. So do you want to mm -hmm. give us some insight on that? Well, I, so for example, I was reading for a projector the other day who has a lot of openness and um, her boss was a manifesting generator and he was so all over the place. Like, and not every manifesting generator is like this, but he, his energy was kind of set up in a way where he needed to be doing about a billion things at once. And like his, his route was also open, but for him, it was manifesting as like, everything's a crisis. Everything is terrible. Like, and he was constantly pushing her to like, drop what you're doing and do this. Now drop what you're doing and do this. And for her, it was really chaotic because that's not how she rolls as a projector. So I think it's less about the types for me. And I think of it more as the centers oh. um, and really look into those and kind of figure out like, cause someone who's got emotional authority, who's really helpful with healthy with it is going to feel better than someone who doesn't understand they have to ride a roller coaster and like wants you to get on the roller coaster with them. Like you having emotional authority, I feel like we would get along really well as friends. Whereas I've met other people with emotional authority and I'm like, get me off this roller coaster. Like I do not want to be on this ride. So it has more to do with, I think the person and the way they kind of 
either embrace or reject the way that they're wired. And um, yeah, like, I always look at people's center configuration. Yeah. Okay. Far more. Okay. Like if you value your sleep and you're a projector, a reflector, or a, or a, a manifester, like maybe don't date a generator or a manifesting generator. Or like do the Victorian thing where you have separate bedrooms because like we're going to keep you up all night. Like my poor projector father and my manifesting generator mother, like my dad wears himself out all day and like falls into bed exhausted, which he's actually not supposed to do. So he actually keeps a pillow next to the bed because like he'll get in intending to read and then the Kindle falls down. And so it's like we've had to put the pillow there so he doesn't like keep breaking Kindles. So he'll fall asleep. He'll get through one REM cycle. And then my mom gets into bed as he's like, you know, falling asleep. And she's a manifesting generator. So like once she gets into bed, she's refilling my poor dad's empty sacral with all of her, you know, sacral energy she still has like humming around. So he only gets through one REM cycle. He wakes up and then he's awake. And he like really has a hard time getting back to sleep. And he always ends up kind of in my old bedroom with a book and the dog and like wakes up there. So I'm like, you guys just sleep in separate rooms. <laughs> like not, and then he wakes my mom up when he's getting up and like, it just, it's not anyway. So it just, it's like sleep. That might be a challenge if you have, you so know, two different types like in bed with each other. Yeah. So does that mean, cause so like manifesting, manifesting generators, manifestors and generators, they all have like what we say, like their own engines, whereas the projectors and the reflectors don't. So, and the manifestors don't. It's manifesting generators and generators. We're the only ones who have our sacral defined. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. So yeah. Manifestors don't. They're non-energy types. They kind of have to take in other people's. But that's the other thing too. Just because the sacral isn't defined for them, like a lot of projectors are energy projectors. They have either their heart, their solar plexus, their root defined, and they get energy from other places. And like a lot of times they feel this push to act before they're supposed to. A lot of times they have a hard time waiting for the invitation because they're getting signals from their heart or signals from their root or signals from their solar plexus to go, go, go. And their poor body is like, thinks it's enough energy to sustain them when they really need to wait for that correct invitation. Um, so interesting. Okay, so yeah. manifestors, sorry, don't have. Um, yeah, they don't have the sacral defined. They're open. Okay, so what makes you have the, like when people say, oh, they're, they're, they have their own engines or they're, um, they, they're non-energy types or energy types in human design. That means mm -hmm. basically like you have your sacral defined or not. Yep. That's kind of like the shorthand for it. Like if someone calls you a non-energy type, like it's because your sacral is open. Um, and uh, energy types, quote unquote, have their sacral defined. But my point is that like the heart also gives energy. So does the solar plexus. So does the root. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times projectors, especially projectors, like will say, oh, I'm so delicate. Like I can't do a lot of work. And I'm like, well, if your heart's in it, you can because your heart's defined. Or, you know, if you have a lot of feelings about it, like you're, you have a lot of emotional energy. Or yeah, if it's a deadline, you're going to be able to hunker down and get to work because your, your root's defined. It's just they're not as powerful as the solar, as the sacral is rather. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And what about like if you're a generator, a manifesting generator? Because I feel like I have a lot of those in my audiences. Um, mm -hmm like what about us like can we sleep beside anybody like it doesn't really matter <laughs> yeah as long as we wear ourselves out each day like our insomnia actually kicks in more when we're not doing enough and manifesting generators those you guys tend to like need to be multitasking you need to tend to have like a lot of different things going on and physical work is kind of important for us so like i'm not saying we need to be out there like you know, uh, working construction jobs. But like, I know, for example, like I sit and talk to people all day. 
Um, like I always joke, there's like a well-worn spot on my couch that I kind of like work from. And um, it's not a lot of physical activity. So there are days where it gets to be six, seven o'clock and like I can feel my body vibrating and humming. And I'm like, I need to go take a walk or I need to have a dance party or I need to do something because there's a certain amount of physical energy as generators and manifesting generators, we're supposed to kind of expel each day. We're supposed to ideally fall asleep each night exhausted and satisfied. Like I liken it to the feeling like, for example, hiking is kind of my thing. It's like my, my favorite preferred energy, like, you know, expender. And um, I, if I, after I've gone on a good seven, eight mile hike, I'll fall asleep. I'll like lay down in my bed and everything hurts, but it hurts so good. It's like, oh, I saw so many cool things. It was such a good hike. Like, oh, that felt really good. And I, and I fall asleep, but I'm like out cold and it's like deep restorative sleep. If we fall into bed and we feel like we didn't, we're not satisfied, like we didn't accomplish a lot, we're, we don't have that kind of, it doesn't need to be bone tired exhaustion each day, but we don't feel like, huh? like it's hard for us to sleep. And then we end up with like insomnia and, and issues like that. And then obviously that kicks our ass the next day because we didn't sleep well. So we feel like we need caffeine and the vicious cycle of life continues. Um, but we need to just like that, I think is like the biggest major key for us is just wearing our sacral out each day. Um, and like getting enough physical activity and movement in. Um, whereas the non-energy types like projectors, manifestors, reflectors, they need like an hour by themselves at the end of the day to get, get away from us and kind of get rid of the energy that's not meant to be there. So for them, like, you know, yin yoga, yoga nidra, like a hot bath, um, reading, journaling, they need to just like kind of like slowly kind of like let everything that's not theirs leave them so they can kind of really reset when they sleep. I love that. And that makes so much sense because there's nothing more boring to me than honestly a restorative yoga class. I'm so bored. <laughs> it, doesn't do, it doesn't do anything for me and it actually just activates me more. And I used to think that was such a like, oh, I was like, oh, why can't you just relax, Emily, you know? Um, but for me, what's actually more relaxing is like you said, going for the hike and then like coming back and be like, that was so satisfying. And then that's when I can really reach that state of relaxation mm -hmm. that I feel like a lot of my projector friends um, get from like a yoga nidra class. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's just like different structure, different folks. It's figuring out what feels the best. And like even sometimes actually project the more open centers you have, the more you probably like being out in nature because it's like an energetic reset. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if you go hiking by yourself, like there's no one else around. There's not anything kind of, you know, pushing you in one direction or another. It just kind of like calms you and sets you back to like your factory settings. Um, that's why I like being out in nature. Well, that and a bunch of other reasons, but yeah, just, but it's like that worn out kind of like, oh, that was good type of feeling. Like that's our, our signature is kind of that satisfaction. Cool. I love it. Well, you've shared so much amazingness with us, um, already. So I just want to kind of start closing it out and yeah, I would love for you to share with us before we go into like rapid fire fun questions, get to mm -hmm. a little bit more before we hop off completely is, do you think that there's anything that right now the people, meaning like whomever on the internet is going to come into contact with this episode, um, need to know about human design that you might think is a myth or you might think that people aren't talking about a certain thing enough that you feel is really important? Is there anything that you wanna share that could be a really great value? Well, I think, um, I, yeah, and okay, maybe this is going to sound controversial, but like I want to kind of put it out there. There, whenever you hear anybody say human design says blank, I would just like take a step back and think about where are they coming from, what that's person, what's that person's perspective? Because there's a lot of 
stuff written about human design um, that, that gets a little spiritually narcissistic. And this is kind of what I, I've tried to kind of put my feelers out about. And this is something I'm still kind of struggling with in my own practice where there are people who use the system to kind of justify their bad behavior. Um, and a lot of times I'll hear people say like, human design means blank or all projectors blank or all manifestors blank. And then the thing that comes out after the, um, that the, you know, the, the statement is typically something that like really serves people's ego. And that would be something that I, I guess like if you're hearing or listening to someone who's trying to sell you something where it sounds like you're always right or you're always perfect or if you just do this through this, like there's never going to be any challenge or there's never going to be any growth. Like that's not my understanding of the system at all. Like the gift I think human design gives us is it's an amazing tool for self-reflection. And like we're, we're perfect in as much as like, we're perfect because we're flawed because we're human. Like our humanity and our perfection kind of coexist within ourselves. And like my understanding of, of at least the system is that like we have this soul contract so that we understand what's natural to us and what's not, but then that we also kind of grow, evolve, change, push ourselves. If there's someone using human design in a way that it almost sounds too easy, where they're telling you you don't have to work or they're telling you that like if like other people's energy is bad or um, trying to tell you things that like, I don't know, that just make it seem like that's a really privileged way of talking. Like I just, I get a little bit nervous about the ways there are some readers who practice this. So I guess like, you know, be a discerning connoisseur of information, do some reading yourself, see what vibes with you. I just like, I guess my reminder, one of the things I'm learning, I guess, the deeper I delve into kind of the spiritual community is that like, there's a lot of people who are very morally relativist who um, basically take the system through the lens of their own kind of you know, their own background, their own baggage. And like a lot of it, sometimes it's going to speak to you and sometimes it won't. So I think like I would, if you ever read something about the system and you're kind of like, huh, that's weird. I would, I would get a second or a third opinion because it may not be the system that's saying that it might be the person who's the mouthpiece for the system. And that also goes the same with me. Like I'm definitely, as I write my own articles, as I kind of build my own you know, resources, I try to source everything that I write, but I'm definitely bringing myself to the table as well. So I know like my viewpoint in the system may be different than others as well. I hope that made sense. I guess that's like my, yeah, you know, totally. I uh, definitely, I, it's been making me sad the way I see some people twisting the system. I'm like, Oh God, that's not what it says. What, where did you get that from? Like you're, you're like, we all, we're all growing. Like no one's perfect. We're all, you know, evolving and changing in that well, in that way. So basically, it sounds like use your own emotional authority and your own design to yeah. in human design. <laughs> yeah, like use what feels what resonates with you. It's Again, it's supposed to be low-key. It's supposed to be a big experiment. It's, be, it's supposed to be something that you try on and kind of see what resonates, see what doesn't. Um, yeah, and definitely like um, I would love for anybody if they're interested to like, you know, definitely visit my website. I'm interiorcreature.com. Um, there's a link at the top that says new to human design where you can go through and like click on different articles for different parts of the chart and definitely send me questions. If you're looking into something in your chart and like, I read this thing, it seems really different and it doesn't seem to resonate or I'm reading this thing and I, I want to have more information about blank. Like that's kind of what I'm here to do. It gives me something to respond to. Um, and I love kind of demystifying the parts of the system for people. Oh, I love that. I'm super huge into dem demystifying thing because it's like, Oh, here's the veil. I'm going to take it away and you can actually see what it's about and actually yeah. digestible and comprehensive. You know, I love that. Yeah. And uh, see if it resonates for you. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Okay, cool. So, um, let's do a, a couple of like fun questions. So because you're a human design reader, um, you're a generator, we know that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but do you know your Myers-Briggs? Does it? Work? I do. I'm an ENFJ. Oh, and it totally does. Like, yeah. I, it was just so funny when I did my, I was like, that is so weird. It's, it's saying a lot of the same things. Yeah. It's so interesting because I was doing a podcast interview yesterday too. And the guest was like, yeah, I'm an ENFJ. And I was like, same, aren't we just the best? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, cool. So do you, what do you think, what do you like about being an ENFJ if you know a lot of it? And what do you feel like is a big shadow side to it? Um, I, well, I think the empath, uh, like the empath part of it, I think is both the asset and the deficit, like for me at least, because I'm very, very sensitive to like, I have, I feel feelings and I feel things very deeply. And I think that's something that when I allow it to be my decision maker, and I guess taking it back to a human design perspective, like for me, emotions are not supposed to be my decider. And I think prior to coming to human design, the empathy, the sensitivity through the emotional quality, like sometimes I would let that fog what my gut was telling me or, you know, or sometimes I would, you know, carry other people's emotions into a situation where they didn't belong. And so I think that can be both, but it's also like a superpower. Like I definitely feel a lot of times my sensitivity now, like I can walk into a room and sense, you know, it's almost like I've got that, that, you know, I know that, that something terrible has just taken place, or I know that someone's really excited about something or in relationships. Like if I, it, it drives the guys I date crazy because I know that like, if they're hiding something from me or something went wrong and they just don't want to deal with it, like I, I know that. Like yeah. I just kind of know like something's not right. You're, you're just like, and I can sense also whether it's the right time to talk about it when it's not. And so like that can also be helpful. Like I, I've definitely been the person in, you know, at dinner with folks or, you know, at a, in a board meeting or whatever where someone tries to say something and I very quietly put my hand on their lap or hand on theirs and I'm like, no, 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 no. Like we're not like, because I can, I almost can sense and read like, yeah, you Whether can, people are, yeah. Yeah, you can sense the social harm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you know that ENFJs only make up 2% of the population? I did not know that. That's crazy. Yeah, and it's interesting because I feel like I know so many ENFJs, but it's just because I'm in the self-help industry. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I think so. We all kind of yeah. gra- like correlated around a very specific thing, yeah. Yeah, because actually, like, that's that's one of the best careers for us, like, per Myers-Briggs suggestions. So to be, like, in the helper role, to be, like, we're the natural therapists um, in different uh, ways and versions. We're also the natural teachers. So it makes a That lot makes sense. Yeah. Um, so what is your favorite essential oil? Oh my goodness. Um, I love, uh, I can, I never know how to pronounce it. So you're gonna have to correct me. Is it vetiver? Vet Vetiver. I love the way that smells. Like I spritz that on my pillow with a little bit of lavender and I am like out like a light. Like, I don't know what it is about that. It smells so good. It's a grounding. I actually put it on my wrist before, um, client sessions because I work with trauma resolution, right? So I feel mm-hmm. like that smell always helps me. So cool. Uh, what's your favorite flower? Oh, purple roses. I love purple roses. I don't know what it is about them. I just like, if I'm at a supermarket and they have them, I get all excited. <laughs> like, I love that. Cool. That's awesome. So what is, um, so when's your birthday? Like, what's your, give us some astro deeds for you. Oh, I am a March 13th. I am a Pisces moon, Pisces sun, Libra rising, and my Saturn was in Scorpio. So it, my Saturn return was all relationships, all conjuncting in like, you know, money and sex and relationships and all that stuff. It was like, ah, uh, it was a rough one. But uh, yeah, Pisces moon, Pisces sun, Libra rising. I'm very justice oriented. People like, I, I'm very into fairness. Like, I think that's why that, when you asked me that question earlier about like, what's the one thing I think that people are misunderstanding? Like, I, I see like the justness and the fairness around like, 
you know, are you using this to like push your own agenda or in a way that's not intended or does it seem slimy or businessy? Like that sometimes doesn't resonate with me as well. Cause I want people to be fair and kind and you know. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. And that's also like lapping onto your Myers-Briggs too. Just like your big ball of judging. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And I definitely am like, I'm dead. And like the, for the people that I don't like, like I talked about like my open heart center, like there's very few people who get on my like list of like, I can't deal with you. 90% of the time they are people who are not fair and are not kind and not compassionate. And like they're do, they do things that like are unjust or, or something like that. Like those are the people who get on my shit list. Yeah, um, totally. It's a very short list, but it, it ends up being those kind of folks. Do you know what your mercury is in, in your chart? Um, ooh. I do. I could tell you. I had that like literally sitting next to me. Hold yeah, on, I'm gonna pick my laptop. So I have my natal chart sitting right here. My Mercury is also in Pisces. Pisces. Oh my god, that's so interesting. I am like a big giant Pisces. I found out the other day my Mars is in Aries, and that was a really interesting, um, like thing to learn too, just about like where confrontation lives and like how that kind of all works itself out. I've been like studying. I've been breaking down my astrological natal chart, like. Cool. very slowly cool. but no I have a lot of I'm very Pisces dominant a lot of Pisces in the chart the Pisces is the wise one which is interesting so what is like a, a, a teachable thing like a wise I guess like a wise sentence or a lesson that you always go back to um, when you're struggling what's something that you can always count on in terms of like getting you through something a sentence or a lesson or whatever it might be for you Oh God, that's a <laughs> way to put me on this spot. Um, there's a line from Breakfast at Tiffany's where I'm going to summarize it. I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's like, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. Something like that. Or like, wherever you run, you're always going to end up running back into yourself. It's something like that. And I think like, that's the one thing that like, is kind of brought me back to, I guess, like why I think I also really resonate with human design is just like, there are things that fundamentally are going to be core to us regardless of like how we want to dress them up or deny that they're there. Or, you know, if you don't like confront something or look at something or, you know, deal with it, it's not going to grow or evolve or change. Like we can't just avoid and hope something goes away. You have to kind of be willing to look at it and, and like take it apart and, and stare it in the face and like how all of those are parts of ourselves too. I think like that was, you know, one of the things I read a book called, um, Oh, is it the dark side of the light chasers? And one of the things they talk about is just the fact that like our definition for perfection has to allow room for humanity and like how we all have the capacity for all different types of like feelings and thoughts and behaviors. It's like it's all within us. Um, so it's important that we kind of get to know ourselves and why and how we all work out so that like, you know, we can kind of, you know, I don't know. I think that that's where wisdom comes. I think from like doing that self-reflective work. Because then if it doesn't become other people are doing X, Y, and Z to me, it's like, I'm the longest relationship I'm going to have. Like, how do I then, you know, what's my part in this thing? How do I get to the next step or get to where I need to go? Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I love that reflection. That's really sweet and powerful. Um, my I hope it was coherent. My open throat is like... <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, that was the most hashtag open throat center answer I could have possibly given you. Um, so because we're, like, this whole episode is about human design, my last question for you 
um, is about your chart. What is your favorite part about your chart? What really like, what are you really happy that you have in your chart? Um, I think my spleen, I like having the spleen defined. Um, I get a really good gut sense about people. Um, and I also think it's funny, I've grown into loving my open self and open heart. Um, because I used to kind of beat myself up because it's like, am I flaky? Am I not ambitious? Am I whatever? And like now it's like, no, no, no. I'm meant to have multiple passions. I'm meant to have, you know, my, I surprise myself with my beliefs every once in a while. Like I'll start maybe like you and I are having a conversation and I listen to what comes out of my mouth and I'm like, oh, that changed. <laughs> Where did that come from? And so, yeah, I've kind of grown into liking those things. Those are both two parts of my chart I used to really struggle with, the openness of my heart and myself. And now I, I think they've I, li I like that I'm kind of, I like that I don't know where they're going to lead me. I like that I'm kind of open in that way. Mm -hmm. I love it. So it's also like coming to accept the things that may have been challenging at one point. I love what you're yeah. saying too about like, I meant, I meant to have multiple passions. I meant to have differences mm -hmm. and things like that. It's so, I think one of the most um, amazing things, about humanity in terms of like our growth and our healing is when we start accepting the things about ourselves so that we can like work with them and celebrate them instead of hating mm -hmm. on them. Yes. Um, yes. So good. And I think human design does such a good work um, at, at making that possible for, for us. And to be honest, I totally just remembered I was so excited about starting to talk human design with you that I, this is the first time this happens. I forgot to ask you the first question um, that I always ask everybody who comes on the podcast. So we're going to end with it today. Okay. Um, sounds good. Surprise. That wasn't the last question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I'm, I'm open. I'm open directionally. I'm open passionately. We can go wherever. I'm totally chill with it. <laughs> So the one question I always ask everyone who comes on the show, um, just because the podcast is called Connected, I always ask you to share a reflection um, about a time that you felt, or usually like the last time you felt super, super connected either to yourself, to someone else, to the world that we were living in, in a way that moved you. So I love to hear about connection orgasms almost. Um, so Oh, okay. So I, maybe this story, I actually just wrote about this story the other day um, for a paper, I had to, for a personal statement actually, but um, so it's, it's not the most recent, but I'll, um, this is one of the reasons that I love teaching. I was writing about those like aha moments that you have as a teacher where like you kind of see things click or you see things like in your students, like they realize something that they didn't understand before or they um, realize something's possible they didn't think was possible before. Um, I, um, years ago, I started my career in education through Teach for America. I was teaching in the South Bronx and um, I had the same group of students for two years. I walked, I, I walked my first graders through first grade and then into second grade. And I was really blessed in that. Like art history was my minor in college. I, I am a big art nerd. It's like another thing I'm really passionate about. And I was able to take my first graders to the MoMA um, back when I was their teacher. And um, I got to like nerd out with them for weeks. I got to bring in like all my textbooks from art history classes. And like I taught them about different artists and we talked about what the artist might be doing and like watching them all kind of light up as we were, you know, talking about the different artists. But I had one student in particular who just like nerded out about the whole thing. He just like, it was the cutest thing. He was a very shy and very quiet little kid. And just as we were talking about the different artists, like he just would sit up a little straighter and like lean in a little bit more. And um, he just fell in love with the work of this op artist, Bridget Riley. And I remember when we went to the MoMA, a couple of her paintings were hanging and like watching his little face, like 
when he got to see them in person, like his little eyes teared up and he was like, I never thought I'd see one in real life. And like, you know, just like that connection that him and I were able to share over art and over like, cause I get like that around paintings of artists that I love. Like I remember um, crying in front of the, um, coronation of Napoleon at the Louvre because it's just like the detail work and just how like intricate the brushstrokes were and just being like so moved by it and like being able to see like a little six-year-old like he like grabbed my hand and he was like Miss D it's so real <laughs> like it's real and I was like yeah buddy I know and it was just anyway it was just like just, like such a cool moment to like really see someone else who's like it's like our, our souls were talking to each other at that moment like yeah paintings do that to me too and for him it was Bridget Riley for me it's like God, it's so many different artists. It's Frida Kahlo's work. It's George O'Keefe's oh. work. And so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. I have so. a friend who literally cries if she sees her. So like not yeah. her person, but like just like a picture of her. So, yeah. okay. So like connection and art for you is huge. Yeah. Just like the, cause I think art, art is my other favorite conversation that we have. Like, you know, human design is so much like how the conversations almost we have with ourselves and others, but like art as creative expression is just like, it's, it's another thing that moves me. And I'm always so in awe of people who can communicate with people in that way. Like that's just not a talent I have, but I, I'm so like, like dance, art, movement, things like that, that just like painting, sculpture, like it just, it does something to me. So it was just so cool to see another little, little human being who, who knows if he would have had that experience if we hadn't like gone to the museum, but yeah, anyway, it was just, it was just really powerful. Oh, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, it's been such a joy talking with you. I'm assuming that- oh, it's so good to talk to you again. I know. I'm assuming we've actually hit two hours at this point. We probably um, have. <laughs> thank you for listening. If you listened, um, Jacqueline, can you tell us where to find you? You said you were on yes. interiorcreature.com. Um, but how can people reach you? Because I have a big feeling that they will want to. So give us your deeds and um, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so interiorcreature.com is the website. Um, when you, it's going to have a little like open page. You're going to click on decode your design. It takes you right to the website. Um, at interior creature is my Instagram handle. Um, I have a Facebook page, but like, I'm not there very much. Just like the website. Um, we also have a, I also run a subscription service called you by design, which it's a way to kind of support the work that's going on, on the blog, but it's also completely community run. So people tell me like, Hey, tell me about this incarnation cross or hell to, Hey, tell me about this gate. And I create content, whether it's videos or, um, you know, uh, PDFs, downloadables, podcast episodes. Like I try to make sure I'm creating content based on what people are trying to research and not finding information about, about their specific chart. So it's a place to kind of, you know, hack your own design. And I do chart readings every day as like my, my main thing. It's, it's what lights me up and turns me on as a generator. And so you can book readings through my site as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here and teaching us the things. Um, oh my God, of course. Yeah, I'm sure that this episode is going to get a ton of great feedback and I'm excited for it. So thank you so much if you listened. As always, if you love the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to get the podcast to be a little bit more popular and in the hands of other people who need to hear it. Um, if you also want to check out more episodes, we have a great lineup coming up for the winter of 2019. So please make sure to tell me if you're listening and you're loving it. And I want to connect with you and all of the things. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Emily Obey and I will talk to you next week.